And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Report. Boy, I'll tell you what, it's a busy day, busy news day. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for your belief and trust in us as we broadcast live each and every weeknight, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, across the Global Star Radio Network, Blog Talk Radio, and, of course, YouTube Live. We've got a great show lined up for you tonight. By the way, Joe, fly first hour uh, riding a shotgun with me will be Peter Barry Chowka, uh, a Brilliant Mind, and of course that's the title of tonight's show, Brilliant Minds. Myself excluded, of course. So, the first hour is going to be Peter Barry Chowka, second hour is going to be L.A. Marzilli, and third, of course, joined by Stan Dale. Had a wonderful conversation with Stan and Holly Dale. Uh, great people today. Uh, great people. And it's uh, it's an amazing. They're just amazing. Great, uh, great product, by the way. The EMP Shield. Very interesting, to say the least. Some news headlines, some information, of course. You know, it, it's, it's interesting to me when I look at the array of headlines. There is so much, um, right now going on with respect to the, uh, geopolitical realm. You've got North Korea firing another ballistic missile. All American cities now are apparently in target of North Korea. And, and that, of course, we can thank who for that? We can thank really multiple administrations. You can go back to the uh, Korean conflict for that. Korean War conflict, police action. Some people, you know, are sticklers as to what, uh, what that is. But um, th- that's. Does that concern any of you? The potential for a, a, a strike by North Korea. What do you think Donald Trump is going to do about that? That, of course, that's an issue. And then, of course, we have other issues as well. We've got this implosion within the power structure of Washington D.C. When I say implosion, I'm talking about the outing. Of, uh, and I spent uh, today's program talking about this. The, uh, Office of Compliance within the Congressional, the, the Office of Compliance, uh, an office that was started back in 1995. Since 1997 through the present day, $17.25 million in settlements being paid out, your tax dollars being paid out. And I covered that in the Doug Hagman radio show this morning. And that's for, Anything from um, sexual harassment settlements, which appear to make the, the bulk of, of those settlements being paid out, to other types of discrimination. But when you look at the chart, to me it looks like this is all pretty much sexual harassment. And then you've got uh, Conyers, of course, being in the crosshairs. And, and you know, it's amazing to me as well. People say, well, we, we can't really, we, we, we have to, we have to wait before we judge. We have to, you know, we believe in the, the uh, innocent before being proven guilty. But Conyers, of course, agreed to a settlement. Now, does that make a difference? 
does settling make a difference? I, I tend to think it does. I, I tend to think the Conyers case is a lot different than, um, it, it's much different than, than the other cases. And Franken, of course, you've got the video or the uh, images and then the other representative uh, from uh, Texas, I believe it is, Joe Barton. The video that he had sent, of course, Alex Jones did a did a pretty ex- extensive um, exposure, pardon the pun there, of that particular case. So you've got all of that breaking out. Then, of course, you've got multiple other news items. I just wanted to double-check something here. Um, the missile lands, the, where the missile landed off of the coast of Japan, uh, it's about 600 miles away, and the North Korean uh, leader, of course, readying the completion of their nuke force. So, North Korea launches ICBM, flight record 50 minutes, that's 5-0 minutes. General Mattis can reach any place in the world. And, of course, South Korea fires back. What does that mean? Well, obviously, the South Korea is not going to wait until they get uh, they get struck. I, I have a feeling that we're going to see in the next several days, we're going to see some sort of response from the United States or a coalition of countries to respond to North Korea. Now, You've got also, and I, I really would not, I would not, uh, in any way, shape, or form minimize what's taking place with the independent counsel, the special counsel, Mueller, the soft coup that is taking place. You've got a lot of movement with Michael Flynn and Michael Flynn Jr. there. And I, and I can see where this special counsel Mueller is kind of twisting some things. And I have a feeling None of this is going to end well. So keep your eyes on that. I'm going to be getting into that tomorrow, the, the backroom Flynn deals. By the way, I, I did mention that first on my morning program last week. And of course, the adage tomorrow's headlines today. I think I, I think I hit that one out of the park. So at any rate, I don't want to keep the gentleman that I have so much regard for. In fact, uh, his articles, his Twitter account, at Pete Chowka, has been retweeted by Sean Hannity and by President Donald Trump. You've got to check out Peter Barry Chowka's articles on Hagman Report, as well as on American Thinker. With that, Peter, come on in. Hello, Pete, Doug. How you doing, sir? Uh, a little bit rushed today, considering all the breaking news. It seems like uh, whenever we have a scheduled appearance... Uh, my best laid plans for an outline and for what I plan to talk about have to be modified at the last minute, if not thrown out the window, Absolutely. because of uh, the incredible breaking news that we face every day now. It, it, it's look, we, we we do this all the time because we have an outline, and it, it evolves. Whether it's, uh, I mean, we might establish that outline at one or two in the afternoon, and then by five, it's something totally different. And then by airtime, you're looking at you're looking at news that's. Um, that's being pushed aside by other headlines. So it's it's one of the hazards of the business and what we're doing today. But what's what's specifically what's on your radar right now, and what are you focused on? Well, I plan to to start uh, tonight with a discussion of single payer health care. Uh, 
that's what I've been writing about lately. I've had three articles at the Hagman Report about health care in the last month or two. And the latest one uh, was titled Single Payer is a Communism with a Mask of Deceit. And that was uh, prominent at the HagmanReport.com on Sunday. Um, and then I'd also plan to talk about, according to the notes that I drafted last night, uh, that are in the big picture and that uh, the tactics of Saul Alinsky uh, the radical theorist behind a lot of what we see the left doing today, the late radical theorist and the mentor of Hillary Clinton, by the way, who dedicated his book to Lucifer, Rules for Radicals, that his tactics are fully on display. And I was going to relate that to President Trump and that uh, President Trump is in the crosshairs of the left, the shadow government, and the deep state. But then today I woke up to see that, of course, uh, Sean Hannity is equally in uh, the crosshairs and uh, the big news there is that this coming Sunday's New York Times magazine one of the most influential publications in the country has a cover story on Sean Hannity with a very incendiary cover photograph making him look demonic at the very least and I just finished reading the 8,000 word article that is this cover story, and um, that's also an amazing, amazing thing to consider in light of all of the reporting that we, you and I, American Thinker, have done over the months on Fox News and on Sean Hannity. And uh, I think we can take at least a small bow again to say that we, particularly you and I, identified very early on in this past spring and summer that John Hannity was doing extraordinary work to expose the deep state and the shadow government. Uh, he was in a tenuous position. He is in a tenuous position in his role at Fox News. And we correctly identified that his enemies, who are our major players out there, have been and continue to target him for takedown as, again, if they can, another step to taking down their primary target, that is President Trump. Peter, it the primary target, as I see it, is President Donald Trump. And we, as you and I spoke, and I think I think we've been vindicated, you and I, um, in large part because I, I've gotten so much email about our coverage of Sean Hannity, um, not Fox News, but Sean Hannity. And the majority of the emails are saying, uh, you know, I'm glad you're sticking up for at least, at least Sean Hannity. I'm glad you're sticking up for him. Um, glad you're, you know, you've got a six, at least in the alternative media. And then I've gotten uh, actually emails from self-professed uh, conservatives saying, why are you sticking up for Sean Hannity? He's part of the problem. He's part of the corporate media. And I don't get that. Um, I, I, I don't understand that mindset. Because I will always stand up for him as long as he continues to advance the uh, agenda of the conservatives. And I think that's what he's doing. But I can't believe the blowback we're getting and we've gotten, which, of course, is secondary to the um, to, to the favorable response. But my goodness. Uh, and then I sent you that, that. I don't know whether you saw that. uh Video from Vox. Oh, yes. oh what, what a what a bunch of garbage that was! I addressed that on my morning program. What a bunch of garbage that was! Um, 
with and those people who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, and I'm not making this up, self-titled gay wonk on Twitter, Carlos Maza, just spent seven and a half minutes, uh, and Alex Jones addressed this last week, but seven and a half minutes talking about his uh, caged masculinity. And of course, taking Sean Hannity the witchet for spreading conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories such as Uranium One, Benghazi, and such. Yeah, go figure. So, anyway. But I think, well, yeah. You I, know, Doug, it's, it's interesting. I, I watched that video as well, uh, Carlos Maza, and you probably know that prior to joining Vox in January of this year as uh, a propagandist video maker, uh, his entire professional career after he graduated from Wake Forest, college or university uh, in 2010. He worked for Media Matters for America from 2011 until January of this year. So this guy, in my opinion, is nothing but a sick propagandist for the vile, discredited, or should be discredited left. And also uh, Vox, uh, the website which he works for, and by the way, Vox on November 14th, did a very similar article to what Maza did in his video production uh, attacking Sean Hannity. Vox uh, website, which is pretty popular now, it's about a one number 1,000 in popularity according to Alexa. This was co-founded by Ezra Klein in 2014. And there's an individual who I have particular enmity for. He's, in my opinion, nothing but a punk who came of age uh, in the first decade of this century when he was a young 20-something college student, and he caught the wave of early blogging, which was the first real social media use of the Internet in the early 2000s. And and Klein was, uh, Ezra Klein was uh, a college student, I believe, in California when he started blogging, and he personifies, in my opinion, the punk ethos that now rules the country and much of the mainstream media. And I actually had a run-in with him in 2007. Uh, I've been, I was writing some articles then for American Thinker about socialized medicine and uh, Michael Moore and his work. And Klein at the time was, um, I forget who he was writing for. It might have been just his own blog. He was essentially a nobody, but he was coming up fast. He was a trendy a metrosexual who uh, was appealing to uh, the left on on the internet, and and he and another character uh, attacked me for some of the reporting I was doing, and and, and said in essence, and it might have been uh, his exact words, "Who is this nobody, Peter Chowka?" And I reflect on that because it was within the past week or two that I was once again referred to a nobody. By uh, I forget who was writing this now. I sent you the excerpt of it. Uh, they took me on for when when Trump, when President Trump retweeted me. Of course, uh, that puts you on some kind of map pretty quickly, and these <laughs> yeah. leftists come out of the wood. <laughs> so not not only do you start to get thousands of messages on Twitter, if not tens of thousands, and angry attack tweets. That's another story that's probably not even worth getting into, but. But you have these self-styled journalists, leftists, uh, deconstruct you and say, we've never heard of this guy, me. He's only following two people on Twitter, you know, as if that's where I get my news. Oh, yeah, I follow two <laughs> people on Twitter because I don't use Twitter 
jerks do. And and this character writing about me also referred to me as a nobody. So I thought uh, maybe I should title these segments that we're doing uh, News from Nobody or news actually News from Nowhere. That's one of my favorite titles. In the 70s, there was a book about television news when I was writing a series of articles on, on TV news and the future of television. And um, somebody, I forget who wrote it now, but deep in the mainstream news business quoted a, a real top person is saying in in the network news department saying we report the news from nowhere so I don't know you can play with these titles and these terms but it's um, this is really an aside though I mean this Ezra Klein character who's behind Fox is basically cut from the same cloth as Media Matters and and literally his uh, right hand man there there now producing these videos Carlos Maza the self styled nerd uh, homosexual is is literally uh, media matters for over five years of his professional career. But I had to wonder when I watched Mazza's video attacking Sean Hannity, this was an extremely sophisticated uh, video production. And uh, I, I can't believe that Mazza himself put this together. This looked like something yeah, that he did. really had yeah, he did. big money behind. And not only that, uh, this is real. This is really the crux of this issue today. A close reading of the New York Times Magazine cover story on Sean Hannity, which is already online, Drudge linked to it today, and it will be out in print this coming Sunday. That article makes generous use of the same information uh, that was generated by Vox, V-O-X News, which Carlos Mazza works for, and which he covers in this uh a seven-minute video of his. In fact, he presents on that video, I believe, uh, this individual named um, Alvin Chang, Chang, right? Who, yep. who explains how he designed a computer software to evaluate the transcripts of Hannity's Fox News program, I believe, over the past two years or so. And Chang came up with uh, the incredible claim. And this is quoted verbatim in the New York Times article, as well as in Vox, as well as in Maz's video. Chang claims that, uh, uh, I believe this is Chang's quote, that uh, Hannity is now the media's, quote, top conspiracy theorist. And uh, now Sean Hannity today uh, kind of laughed off the New York Times story and said that it doesn't really disturb him at all. He cooperated closely with the New York Times writer and their photographer, including a spontaneous visit to the house that Sean grew up in on Long Island in the 1960s and 70s. They knocked on the door, and he was he, he there are photographs of him in the Times article of him uh, on the outside of this house. So it's a very detailed story, and from what I know about Sean Hannity, and I do know a lot. Uh, the article has a lot of interesting facts in it, but of course, it's with a spin. And the most important thing about the article is what is left out, and that is a lot. In fact, it's all of the you you might say exculpatory material which uh, completely uh, demolishes the theme of the article, which is that Sean Hannity is some loose cannon out there, an extreme right winger. Uh, an, an ignoramus at best and, you know, a dangerous radical as if he, Sean Hannity, is cooking up on his own 
with the help of one or two of his program producers, all of this fake news. In fact, the article says early on, the Times article says that Hannity is guilty of, quote, fact-free, unquote, programs. That's right. Now, you and I both know, having followed his work very, very closely this year and, and studying it and, and literally following the leads that if anything, it is not fact-free. And completely absent from this Times article is any mention of the stable of experts, bona fide, qualified, in many cases mainstream journalistic experts, who are the source of Hannity's facts and who appear frequently on his television, Fox News, and syndicated radio program. That includes John Solomon, who has a, I believe he's vice president now, as well as frequent contributor writer to The Hill publication, which is a credible mainstream publication. Sarah Carter, who's an award-winning journalist at Circa News. Greg Jarrett, who is an esteemed news person and attorney at Fox News, and, and others as well. But those are three of the top people who Hannity has relied on. So once again, we see the, the left's tactics in the media, it's not simply the story you tell in print or in broadcast, the story you spin, but it's the details, the real uh, important facts that you completely avoid and leave out of your coverage. And, of course, this is the bottom line. This is the name of the game of the cable news network, CNN, which night after night, day after day, reports at the minutiae of the, the bad news about Donald Trump, which they... Uh, you know, send into the stratosphere and they're reporting on it while completely reporting the real news of what the Trump administration, administration and President Trump are really doing and accomplishing for this country. You are 100% right. And by the way, last night on, on Sean Hannity's program, he had, uh, in addition to, uh, Greg Jarrett, uh, he had, uh, the Sidney Powell on, um, and I, I, I retweeted or I sent a tweet out, Sidney Powell, who was a former federal prosecutor. And the reason I bring this up is because she knows, of course, uh, what's taking place right now behind the Mueller probe. And she was involved in witnessing what happened with Arthur Anderson, the accounting firm, during that the Enron situation, the Enron Mm -hmm. deal. And the reason I bring this up is because no one else in the corporate media is bringing people like uh, Sidney Powell on. We're going to have her on, I believe, uh, sometime here within the next month or so. Again, former federal prosecutor, uh, uh, tremendous prosecutor, and she actually retweeted what I what I wrote. But she, but she she stated last night. Um, well, I'll just read you my my tweet, and I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, when in modern history has there been such transparent anti-American and seditious activity against a sitting president? That's that's me asking that question. And then what she said last night. Um, or I'm sorry, wait a minute. That's the wrong tweet. Sorry about that. Uh, where to go? Okay. Um, yeah, so, uh, quite a few. Uh, okay. Well, I guess I just screwed up here. I, I can't find the tweet, but, but she was, uh, depicting Mueller and team from former great prosecutor, or former, uh, great, great former federal prosecutor and author, Sidney Powell. Here's the quote. We're not seeing mission creep. It is referenced, you know, by the way, to what's what Mueller is doing. But creeps on a mission to destabilize and d- destroy the president. And the reason I, I, I mentioned this and brought this up, and sorry about taking me so long, is I think that 
on a corporate media level, who else except for Sean Hannity is attempting to stop this, this or expose this this uh, probe for what it is? Certainly, no one else. Of course, those in his orbit are. But, but you've got MSNBC, you've got all the all the three letter um, networks, all taking down and destabilizing uh, President Donald Trump, and of course trying to snuff out the will of the American people. So anyway, um, we need to get behind. Everyone needs to get behind. I believe uh, Sean Hannity, and regardless of how much flack we would take for doing so, that's my view. Well, and it's my view as well. And Hannity was prescient several years ago when he uh, gave his opinion that the mainstream media, or mainstream journalism is dead. And how right he was in predicting that. And now, I agree with you, he's the last one uh, left standing in the prominent mainstream media who calls out the facts and the truth, or the closest thing to it, night after night, day after day. Now, of course, there are others on Fox News and to an extent, um, very, very rarely on CNN in terms of their occasional guests who are usually shouted down by the uh, cacophony of left-wing opposition that dominates CNN. You know, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, uh, the news reporting of Fox is pretty fair and balanced. But, again, as, as you said, nobody is bringing out this important, essential information which at, at one time would have been in the mainstream media. I mean, look at the impeachment of Richard Nixon. Uh, the media then was able to ferret out that story and uh, and bring down a president. And if if it was anything today like it was then, we would see a clear, objective focus on what the left is doing to take down Donald Trump and what the left has done to do the very things, criminal things, in many cases, that they are alleging the Trump administration has done. So we're through the looking glass here and uh, holding on for dear life as we search out the truth and try to report it. There was, there was no clearer example of how completely corrupt and useless and dangerous the mainstream media is than the coverage of CNN last night. I, I watched that very closely because of their seizing on the what what they claim was the racist comment of Donald Trump when right. he used the term Pocahontas to uh, to bring uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren into the ceremony honoring the uh, the Navajo Indians who helped out with the code uh, work of World War II and uh, Molly Hemingway today at the American um, Federalist had an or, or the Federalist had an excellent article on that, which was linked, I believe, from uh, Real Clear Politics, uh, saying, of course, Trump was not using a racist term. He was not being a racist. What he was doing was, in an attempt at humor, calling out the real racism of Senator Warren, Elizabeth Warren, in claiming to her benefit, to her financial and career benefit over the years, that she was a native, a part Native American when that myth, that lie, has been completely exposed and demolished by, among others, Native American scholars. You just have to Google that to find the evidence of how Elizabeth Warren is a sick liar for claiming 
that she is part American Indian and getting her position at Harvard or reinforcing her position at Harvard because of that and, and going where she is today, taking it all the way to the United States Senate. So, uh, you know, the media, in fact, Hemingway points out that in some of the coverage of this incident involving President Trump yesterday and his use of the term Pocahontas to refer to Senator Warren, some of the media made it seem like Elizabeth Warren actually is part Indian. So you had fake news on top of fake news. And, uh, I mean, really, it's just a complete waste of time to watch CNN, but some of us have to do it occasionally so we can help to expose what they're doing, but it's you need to take a shower afterwards. I, I have to tell you, uh, so, so many people, I, I feel bad for you and me, too, having to watch, uh, you know, Rachel Maddow or, or uh, Chris Matthews or CNN. It's just, it, it's maddening. But it's so important because I've, I really have never seen anything like this in the history of cable news. Now, I got, I, there's an email that I got right as soon as we posted the show for tonight and your name came up on the, on the itinerary. Somebody had emailed me and you had brought this up and let me ask you this question. Um, and, and you know, we can go anywhere you want, but I, I figured since I have, I want to, because I was thinking about this earlier. Do you see parallels today with the special prosecutor, or or not not parallels, or, or you know something totally opposite with the special prosecutor going after uh, Donald Trump, as you saw, you being really into this, with respect to Richard Nixon and the Watergate uh, committee? Do you see parallels here, or do you see something that's totally different? And that's from uh, Roger in uh, Kansas City, Kansas. Thanks, Roger. Well, Roger, if you're watching or listening, yes, I see major parallels. Of course, we're 45 years down the road from the start of the uh, uh, attempt, successful attempt to bring down Richard Nixon, take down Richard Nixon. But yes, one parallel is, well, actually two parallels I can name right off the bat. One is the uh, denigration of the President of the United States, Richard Nixon, now Donald Trump, from the outset, having nothing to do with Watergate or even with uh, the alleged Russia collusion. Trump, as well as Nixon, have been were targets uh, from the get-go, pretty much, of the left, the shadow government, and the deep state for eventual taking down. And it's a, an incremental piling on, day after day, negative story after negative story, little things which are seized on, you know, did his... Uh, press secretary uh, Sanders really bake that Thanksgiving pot or uh, you know is Trump playing golf too much is too much money being spent on his security uh, never once mentioning the security that was necessary for Barack Hussein Obama and his world trotting wife and mother-in-law and children when he was president or his numerous vacations and golf outings you know uh, the same thing was done with Nixon, uh, cheering on the denigration of Richard Nixon from when he was inaugurated in January 1969. And, of course, the Watergate break-in wasn't until June of 1972. And that took a while to get going, the coverage of that. And uh, the common understanding is that it was uh, journalist Woodward and Bernstein of the Washington Post that really got that moving. And they did. But 
many questions remain, and in fact, books have been written about where they were really getting a lot of their material that besmirched Nixon and eventually built the case against him. And, of course, another parallel is how the media then, which was, of course, fairer and more objective than it is now, which is not to say it wasn't skewed left then, but the media then was also failing to put Nixon's activities and the activities of his administration vis-a-vis Watergate break-in into any kind of context. The literature, the mainstream literature is replete with books, articles, reminiscences about prior Democrat presidents prior to Nixon, LBJ, Jack Kennedy, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who were up to their eyeballs in dirty tricks, in actual criminality. I mean, LBJ, you know, where do you begin with LBJ? That would take an encyclopedia. And even JFK, who, you know, I think we have some respect for, but he was a very flawed character. And just read the book by Seymour Hersh, The Dark Side of Camelot, which was published in 1997 and almost finished off Hersh's career, Hersh being a card-carrying leftist. But he wrote an incredible book based on years of research deconstructing the Camelot myth. And after you read that, you just have to scratch your head and go, what goes on here? This is just amazing. But, you know, so there's that parallel. And unfortunately, I see, well, even the events of the last week or two with the focus even of the mainstream media and of some Democrats on the activities that are now exposed of Senator Franken and Representative Conyers, which if they were Republicans, they'd probably be out of there. They'd be long gone by now. But the media, to my surprise at first, was willing to go along with reporting those stories. They're kind of fading now. But, you know, and I wrote an article, and I think we were on the same page there as well, was be careful what you wish for. If you wish for the taking down of Al Franken for these allegations, well, number one, you're going to get probably, as your next senator, Keith Ellison, the Muslim representative. He'll be the next senator. No joy. Yeah. Right. And also what it says about this meme that's being established of zero tolerance for anybody in public life who is accused. You know, Jacques Hughes, you're out of there. No trial, no jury, no judge. You're gone. And, you know, which is what they're trying to do to Judge Roy Moore in Alabama. But as I think we agree, the big target in the crosshairs of the left, the shadow government and the deep state media is President Donald Trump. So the more that they that the popular media culture politics can establish the zero tolerance policy, then they can turn that bullseye whenever they feel like it on Donald Trump. If they ratchet up again, accusations from Trump's accusers from a year ago pretty much disappeared after he was elected. Well, who knows what can happen that and that's a very powerful inducement to at least half of the population, namely women. It pushes a button with many, many women, even Republican women 
you know, since all women or almost all women say that they have had experience with sexual harassment or worse in their lives, not to deny that or to denigrate it, but, you know, you just have to throw that up into the political sphere and it gets mileage just as for many years, for many decades since the 1950s, pushing the button, well, establishing guilt among Caucasian Americans for what was done to African Americans or black Americans over the years, including slavery going way back. Pushing that button was a real inducement to advancing the agenda of the left over these years, And and it works until this day, even though in the opinion of many, including many black conservatives, we've not only gone very far towards establishing a colorblind society and ending racism, but uh, racism is is pretty hard to find, uh, black against white or white against black. Uh, You wouldn't know that from listening to the left-wing politicians or the left-wing media. You'd think we were still in the uh, the age of, of the Ku Klux Klan, which, of course, was a Democrat institution, by the way, running the show. You know, I might get a lot of emails for saying this. I don't see wholesale racism. I, I don't see it out there in the world. And, and maybe, maybe somebody might say that because I'm white. I'm a privileged white American or, or claim I'm white privilege. But I really don't see. And I think you make a good point. I don't see wholesale racism. I, I see a lot of white guilt, not not racism, um, out there right now. Now, that's not to say it doesn't exist in pockets and in certain conditions and certain uh, uh, areas. But uh, well, and Doug, the other the other area we can never go to is to investigate or discuss black racism. That's right. In fact, we we've had leading black uh, academics and media poobahs say that an African American is incapable of being racist. Many of them actually make this point because, I don't know, they were so discriminated against that even if they hate whites, that still doesn't uh, qualify as racism, quote-unquote, because they have a right to feel that way. And yet if you look at the statistics again, uh, there is more, much more black-on-white crime than the reverse. Rape actually is, what, like a thousand times as frequently reported as white on black rape. Not to say that any of these things are excusable or... But 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 I believe you had a guest on at one point who wrote a book on this. Very Colin Flaherty. Yeah, Colin Flaherty. Right. Yep. And, and, you know, there are experts out there who are trying to bring this information objectively and without taint of of hate or racism to the fore so we can simply see the whole context and the whole picture and and they can't get anywhere immediately they're called racists and and the fake meme uh, goes on so yeah it, it's up to us i guess and a handful of others to try to point this out to the peril of our own reputations online but uh that's the way it is, I guess. Good, good point. Uh, very well said. Our guest, of course, or my guest, flying uh, or running shotgun uh, in the absence of Joe, of course, is Peter Barry Chauka. Follow Peter Chauka at Pete Chauka. That's on Twitter. Uh, follow him. Stalk him. No, seriously, he is a lot of great information, a lot of great uh, blurbs at Pete Chauka. 
um, of course, on Twitter. And if, uh, make sure you, you read all all of his columns at American Thinker, and of course at Hagman Report. And, and Peter, I don't want to hijack your time because there's you're going to be you're going to be coming back to um, Friday, right? Friday. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. good. All right. You know, I was thinking. I, I want to mention this before I forget because I thought it might be interesting to give a, a name or a small title to these regular appearances that I'm doing. And I thought, I mean, earlier I said maybe it could be uh, news from nowhere, news from nobody. (laughs) But uh, my first choice would be something like Between the Lines, Peter Barry Chalko, Between the Lines, because that was the title of a a column that I was writing about four decades ago for a monthly magazine. And I was doing pretty much the same thing I'm doing now, taking a look at uh, mainstream news and also stories that I was covering uh, in my period of gumshoe journalism. I use that term. I always thought it meant uh, when you were a gumshoe journalist or investigated, it meant that you were pounding the pavement so often that you literally got chewing gum stuck to your shoe. But I've since seen supposedly that that term originated from uh, what was literally a, a gum-based shoe, a soft-soled shoe, which was worn by investigators who wanted to sort of tiptoe around and not be heard. So the title supported, supposedly came from that. But, uh, but unfortunately, the title Between the Lines has been used for a number of years by uh, Joseph Farah of World Net Daily as the title of his columns there. So I thought, well, I don't want to be uh, accused of plagiarizing him, even though I was using this title myself decades ago. But I thought um, maybe connecting the dots because that's what we really convene to do here. I know you you do that constantly in your reporting and in particular on your morning program in which you constantly paint the big picture by connecting the dots of all these apparently disparate stories that we are fielding hour by hour here now. But uh, I thought I would just play with that concept and see what people think of it or what you think of it or whatever, or if we should even give it a title. But um, I did want to talk a little about uh, what I planned originally to start with today sure. before the, all of this other news came up. But that was just to touch briefly on uh, the single-payer uh, push. And, and this, this is also very, very current right now with health care. You know, health care, it needs to be remembered. Is I mean, there are few issues that are really larger. Yes, our, our national security is huge. I mean, if we're going to get blown up tomorrow by a North Korean nuke, yeah, that's that's number one. But in the longer term, health care is big. It, it affects literally all of us. Uh, it's the biggest business. It's the biggest collection of businesses. The price tag for health care in the United States now is over $3.5 trillion, with a T, dollars a year. And it's increasing at something like five times the rate of inflation. When I used to write about healthcare 40 years ago, I was saying, oh, it's like $500 million a year now total. Now it's $3.5 trillion. And as we know, with that kind of concentration of wealth comes tremendous power and political power. So our healthcare choices are determined by the money at play and how it influences and buys off politicians. And, of course, the big change there was in March of 2010 when Obamacare was rammed through the United States Congress and we're still living under the expanding ramifications of that abomination. 
and I'm trying to follow as closely as possible what's happening with uh, the fate of the Obamacare mandate, which is the tax on income of people who choose not to uh, buy forced mandated conventional medical insurance with the gun to their heads of the IRS policing this. And uh, that's uh, actually I'm going to be writing about this in another article, which I hope to have up either Friday on the Hagman Report or uh, soon afterwards. And that will be the fourth in the series. And it will uh, it will once again illustrate the smoking gun evidence that I have developed that uh, centralized state control medical care, single payer, uh, whatever, socialized medicine, communist medicine, is about controlling the population and not about improving our health. And that can be very, very well and clearly documented now, although that's a story that hardly ever, in fact virtually never, gets on any mainstream media, including Fox. So it, it's totally up to us to uh, uh, to go there. But you know, I, I like the title of the last article that I did, which was at the Hagman Report on Sunday. That is Sunday, uh, November twenty fifth, twenty seventeen. Yep. And these articles of mine, even though even after they scroll off the front page of the Hagman Report uh, of HagmanReport.com, can be easily accessed by going to the right-hand column of the Heidman Report, which under my name has my most recent four articles linked, and then if you click the arrow on the right, you can get eventual access to all of my previous articles, over 50 of them now. And in there are the three that I've written on healthcare, but the most recent one was uh, single-payer is communism with uh, a mask of deceit. And I like that word deceit because for those of us who were aware of what happened in the 19th FBI director J. Edgar Hoover wrote his famous book Masters of Deceit about the communist penetration of the world and of the United States of the tactics they use and it is uh, it's deceit with a capital D that has allowed the left to upend public Sentiment about socialized medicine. When uh, when the Clintons, Hillary and Bill, proposed their communist socialized medicine scheme in 1993, Hillary Care, that was so unpopular that it never even went to the Congress for a vote. It just died of its own. Uh, when Barack Hussein Obama came up with it in uh, and it was passed in the Congress in March of 2010. It had to use every legislative trick in the book in a Congress that had a uh, a veto-proof majority of Democrats, 60 votes in the Senate and whatever in the House, and they rammed it through with lies and fakery. And, of course, there's the famous quote by uh, Nancy Pelosi who said, well, of course, you have to read this 2,000 page, or no, you have to we have to vote for this and enact it before we know what's really in it because nobody had time or understanding to digest the 2,000 pages of the bill, Obamacare. And now, of course, it's expanded to uh, 20, 30,000 pages of rules and regulations. But between 2010 and now, and for all of those years after 2010, Obamacare supposedly, according to the polls, was extremely unpopular. 
Now, according to most of the polls, and I think they're probably close to being right here, a majority of Americans seem to be in favor of state-controlled government medicine, and I think it's actually a bare majority that actually support single-payer now, which which scares me to death. Oh, yeah. Peter, I, how's that possible? Uh, okay, for, you go, and, and forgive me, but from 1990, I'll say 1995, generously, under Clinton, Hillary Care, 92 maybe, to, to 2010, no, no, no. 2010, uh, bang. It's, it's thrust on our throats. And now 2017, people are asking for it, begging for it, saying, it's okay. What the hell happened? How'd that happen? I'm sorry. Well, it's, it's this, it's the triumph of fake news again. Uh, since, I, I'd say starting about two years ago in earnest, the mainstream media has, has slanted more than ever. Their coverage of of healthcare issues, of Obamacare, of uh, the future. What are we going to do? Are going to are we going to repeal it, or reform it, or replace it? You know, the Republicans even bought into this. They couldn't just repeal it. They were, had to repeal and replace it. Well, by replacing, that means you're going to replace it with some additional new, expansive government-centric statist program, which will compound. The issues and get us farther away from a free market economy, which was uh, which ruled in this country until fairly recently. And actually, it's it's since the 1960s and Medicare and Medicaid that healthcare in this country has been a mix of socialism and the free market. And that is what has really it's the government intervention in healthcare starting in earnest in the 60s that has created almost all of the problems that we see today in terms of access and cost, high cost. Uh, but, you know, it, it, if you look at the coverage in the mainstream for the past two years, and especially now that Trump, President Trump has been in there and, uh, you know, he, one of his top uh, promises, pledges was to repeal and replace Obamacare. And the left is is digging in its heels on that. And story after story, oh, the 13 million people supposedly who will lose health care if the Republicans have their way and they will be in desperate straits and will be dying in the streets. Well, 13 million Americans, if they are in fact getting health care under Obamacare, represents uh, fewer than 4% of the population, and it, it would actually be easier and cheaper just to pay outright for their health care, whatever they need, rather than to make all of us suffer, all 330 million of us suffer under the brutality of Obamacare. I mean, it was Obamacare that gave rise to the Tea Party in 20, uh, 2009 and 2010. And, of course, the media had its hand in in Dis- diminishing and dismissing Obamacare, uh, uh, the Tea Party, and uh, every story, you know, uh, profiling people uh, under treatment for cancer or with some rare disease who supposedly will be left with no care if the Republicans have their way. It's, d- it's the same thing they're doing with the, the tax situation. Do we want to uh, lower taxes on everyone in America and make our tax system simpler? No, according to the left and the media, because that will just be a a a, a handout uh, to the rich, which right. of course is is a very simplistic and inaccurate way of uh, 
of reading that. But, you know, we're surrounded. I mean, this is this is the triumph. What we are living in times of the triumph of propaganda, left wing socialist, communist, globalist, transnational, deep state, shadow government propaganda like we have never seen before in the history of the world. And the fact that it's occurring in the United States with our First Amendment and our supposedly free, fair and objective press is is absolutely shocking and depressing to the core. This eclipses things that were done in previous totalitarian fascistic regimes because in those regimes, for example, the Soviet Union, which relied on some of the same methods of propaganda, you it never was completely accepted by all of the population. In, in Russia, for example, under communism, you had an alternative press known as the Samizdat, which published a mimeographed, handed out, or cassette tapes of stories from the rest, you know, the alternative point of view. And, and most people living in Russia knew it was BS, what Pravda and his Vestia were reporting. The problem with the, in the United States now is that it appears that a majority of people now, adults, and a, uh, apparently a vast majority of younger people, millennials, buy these lies and this fake news hook, line, and sinker because the news has been associated with the culture. You capture the popular culture and the minds of people through that, especially the youth coming up, and then their politics will follow that. So since the 1960s, 70s, 80s, and really being turbocharged starting in the 1990s and to the present, our taken over by the left to the extent that uh, there is virtually nothing left in the popular culture now that is not uh, politically driven by the left. Uh, films from Hollywood, mass market films, television, commercial broadcast television, even much of cable television, popular music, uh, the disappearance of serious classical music. I mean, it, it's pretty much disappeared. Symphonies in, in cities and towns have gone out of business. Classical music, uh, uh, well, you can't, you can't find it in the places that still sell, uh, CDs of recorded music. It's gone. Um, and, and that was a quality area of the culture that had been in existence for hundreds of years. In about 10 years, it's been completely expunged from the popular consciousness. And, I mean, I could go on and on citing examples, but, I mean, it's why many of us eschew and avoid the popular culture and, uh, and read and listen to and watch things from the past when America was great because it isn't anymore and it's reflected not only in our culture but in our degraded communist politics that are ruling the day. I've got to tell you, that was probably one of the most eloquent and succinct, um, diatribes, monologues that, 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 right on the money. Now we only have about a minute left. I don't want to take any, any, I don't want to take any part of that minute. Closing comments in advance of Friday. Closing comments, uh, listeners, viewers, please support us. HagmanReport.com, the Hagman Report program that you're watching or listening to right now or accessing via podcast. Uh, Doug's morning program, 
on uh, Internet Radio, Joe and John's Afternoon Program. Uh, I would appreciate your visiting my Twitter, P. Chowka. That's twitter.com slash P-C-H-O-W-K-A. I don't retweet a lot. I don't uh, encumber it with a lot of retweeting nonsense. I simply use it to post links to my articles and my podcasts and now my upcoming broadcasts with Hagman Report. And uh, that's all I ask is, is some attention, some consideration, and some thought given to my work. And I welcome responses on Twitter, uh, pro and con. I, I'm willing to listen to anyone who takes the time to respond to me. Send me, if you follow me, you can send me a message, a private message on Twitter, and I promise to respond. And as always, I appreciate these opportunities, Doug. Glad to hear that uh, Joe is getting better, and I look forward to being with you again on Friday. Peter, welcome aboard. Thank you so much. I know there was kind of a last minute, uh, hey, can you come on? And But I'm so glad you did. And uh, uh, we're looking forward to Friday and, of course, your latest at Hagman Report about the single-payer health care system, so important for everyone. Peter, until Friday, God bless you. Come Thank on. you. God All bless right. you, Doug. God bless our listeners and viewers. Thank you. Folks, remember, right back, network break. Stay right where you're at. This edition of the Hagman Report. You know, so much going on. And, and I want to thank Peter Barry Chalka, uh, really for coming on. He's, he's, he's a part of this, uh, of our endeavor to, to really bring, um, to bring forth the, the truth element here, to bring forth the hard hitting news. You know, he's done so much research on the healthcare. It's to to listen to him speak. I swear he's got two thousand pages memorized of the health care bill. I really, I, I really think that's the case, uh, and and the additional addendums. But to to understand the the background and, and why we're where we're at with this is just an amazing thing. And, and you might think it's dull, but man, this is part of taking over the country and how else do you do it but you control the choke points one of the choke points is of course one-fifth of the economy so anyways uh, before we get to our before we continue here i want to mention uh, patreon and uh, thank you so much for your support of patreon i want to I, I do i want to let all of you know that the 25 dollar reward for private live stream is that's going to take place this sunday december 3rd seven o'clock eastern time now those of you who have partnered up with us at this level you'll receive an email sunday afternoon that will walk you through the well just how to connect and such because if you're like me i don't know this kind of stuff now for those of you that would like to join the live stream and have yet, not yet pledged to at the $25 reward level, you've got to do so by November 30th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. Any patrons that pledge to this level after that will have to wait until the next month's live stream. And what, what can you expect? Well, here's what you can expect. Interactive face-to-face group video conference. That's with Joe and I. Uh, group discussion on news and current events. You can ask us anything you know you might want to ask us. We do have... Uh, and I'm going to try to bring... Uh, I don't know how to do this, but maybe some sort of visual aids. 
to show you what I use for research. And I hope to, we hope to make this, like, like, you know, the whiteboards and stuff. I, I hope to make this a little bit different. And, um, there's also a good chance that the live stream is going to last longer than an hour. So also the Hagman, Hagman form, hopefully it'll be ready by the end of the week. That's kind of a, a soft intro date. And that's going to be pretty neat to have access to a place where you, you can actually post messages, articles, stories, even questions. I'm going to be part of that. I, I can't wait for that. I like the interactivity of that. So uh, we want to thank you on behalf of the entire team. Thank you so much for your support. I really, really mean that. By the way, Portions of the Night's broadcast brought to you by OmahaSteaks.com. OmahaSteaks.com. Have you had Omaha Steaks? Oh, fantastic. Type HH in the search bar, and uh, for under $50, you can get my family gift pack when you go to OmahaSteaks.com and enter the code HH. Fantastic deal. More on that later. I want to mention as well, many people know I've talked about Benghazi. We've covered Benghazi. The um, travesty that took place today. The Islamic, the Muslim terrorist, Ahmed Abu Katala, skated on murder charges. He, he, he was, he was acquitted on numerous charges. He was convicted on four lesser counts. He escapes the death penalty. This is in U.S. courts. Have you heard about this yet? Benghazi is Islamic terrorist Ahmed Abdu Abu Katala. Benghazi. Now, well, I thought a film was responsible for that. <laughs> of course not. And, and remember the hubris, the hubris of Hillary Clinton taking over Benghazi or taking over Libya. It's all coming back. Uh, this is the Obama legacy. This is the Clinton legacy. This is the Rice legacy. This is what we get. Katala skates. Four lesser counts. Boy, it's enough to it's enough to really make you wonder what's really taking place behind the scenes. Good job. And where is Jeff Sessions? Where is the Sessions Department of Justice? I am asking that more and more and more. Putting that aside, let's welcome our next guest, Mr. L.A. Marzuli. Always a crowd pleaser. L.A. Marzuli, welcome to the Hagman Report, sir. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Man, it's great to have you on. It's it's great. You know, it seems like, honestly, it seems like it's been a while. I don't know when the last time you were on, but it seems like it's been a while. What's been going on? Well, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm working on films, uh, basically Fatima 2, right. which will come out sometime in January. Um, I don't want to um, have it, basically release it now and then have it just lost in the Christmas rush. Um, I will tease your audience with something and I've got a conference call coming on Tuesday between two uh, photographic analysis type people and Portugal, another uh, photographer there. Um, we've had access to several photographs that were actually taken in 1917. And this one particular individual uh, came on the record already. And basically, I mean, look, is it a smoking gun? I don't know. Uh, you know, I I can't. <laughs> I wish I could tell you the smoking gun. I can't yet, but we're we're very excited. Uh, he had access to the 
the sanctuary in Fatima. And from that, he was able to handle the glass plates. And the glass plates are where we get all the pictures from. But no one basically has handled the glass plates, as far as I know, in, in a while. And he did this, I think, in 2008. He had access to it. And what he discovered there were objects on the glass plate, specifically round cylindrical objects, um, which were not, according to him, which were not chemical stains, they were not, um, you know, any type of uh, manipulation, they were on the glass plate themselves. So this is why the conference call next Tuesday. Before I go out with this, because this is, this it could be huge, could be huge, we don't know. There's, the rest of the film, the film will be about an hour and 20 minutes by the time I'm done. There's so much information in the film already, and this is one of the last, really, topics that we discuss, the glass plates. And I've always felt that that someone who was there must have taken a photograph of the so-called miracle of the sun, because this thing went on between 10 and 14 minutes. It wasn't just this, like, a one-minute thing. It was on for 10 minutes. And, and the photographer who was there took upwards of 12 pictures. We know that. And these are all the glass plates and the old cameras, wooden box cameras, sliding in the glass plates, sliding it out, all the chemicals that you've got to use. Um, so this, this gentleman, uh, I won't say his name right now, but he's already, he's already agreed to come on the record and he's already done so. We've already got him on film. Uh, but we want to sort of do another sort of a, a retake with this man because I'm, I'm bringing in two other, you know, photographers basically to analyze his work because we, we just can't go out with this. We need two or three witnesses, and that's what we're trying to do. So that's what kind of we're working on here. Oh, oh, okay. And just just so people, and I can't believe anyone does not know what we're talking about here, just refresh people about Fatima briefly. And the glass plates of which you speak, you're talking about the camera um not going to say lens, but the camera, um, part of the camera, basically, is what you're re well, referencing. Yeah, the the glass plates, and back in 1917, there are no Polaroids, there are no film as we know it today. So they're using glass plates which go inside the camera. These glass plates record the image. I mean, it's very complex. And then through a series of chemicals, um, you get a negative from that glass plate. And then the glass plate, of course, then you can print photographs, which is what right. the photographer did. So, you know, in Fatima, Miracle of a Sun or Harbinger of Deception, this is the first film, which is already out. Right. Uh, you can buy it on your website, and I would encourage folks to do that because, in my opinion, something happened there, which I truly believe was a harbinger of deception. I think that we are moving into a window of time where we're going to be seeing more and more and more um, of these type of supernatural events. And, you know, in the first film... We, we we just took Mary off the table. We don't even discuss who the apparition was, who it might have been. We just completely took that off the table. It's like, in fact, in the very beginning of the film, there's like a disclaimer. We're not here to disparage anyone's belief system. People can believe whatever they want to believe. So we, we drill in on one aspect, and that, of course, is the miracle, the so-called miracle of the sun. Right. Um, in 1917, these apparitions went on for six months, from May to October. And then finally in October... Uh, the the seers who were Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta. Lucia was ten, Francisco nine, Jacinta seven. They were they were told in September 
to go back and ask this entity for a sign. So they did. And the entity says there will be a sign in October. So upwards of 70,000 people are there in that field at the Cove of Irene, October 13, 1917, waiting for the sign, waiting for whatever's going to happen to happen. 70,000 people. At 1 o'clock, it's been raining all night, all morning. Everyone is soaked. You got pictures of a sea of umbrellas. And uh, all of a sudden, the clouds part, the sun comes out, and then another cloud comes in and moves in front of the sun like this. Okay? I'm blocking my face deliberately. And from that comes an object. From this cloud which is blocking the sun comes an object which descends over the crowd. It spirals like this. It floats down like this. Hmm. It does it three times and then comes back up. Uh, we've got way too many witnesses who talk about seeing a dull silver disc, a silver disc, a bright object, a, a an object which was spinning on itself, spinning on its axis, throwing out a myriad of colors. I mean, the, the, the phenomena... Uh, of, of that, whatever was going on during the miracle of the sun, just that one event with the craft coming out, the phenomena was absolutely incredible. But there was other phenomena, plural, that went with it. Um, there were like these petals, these fibers which came down from the sky. People uh, uh, um, had radiate well, I won't say radiation, but skin burns on them. Um, the motors spontaneously combusted in cars. Gasoline spontaneously combusted. Uh, the, the hoods of of cars just just flew open and blew off. Windshields cracked. I mean, we're looking at an event here with an incredible amount of energy, an incredible amount of energy to do all this. People who were sopping wet standing in the field, their clothes were dry. So what was it? What really happened? And remember, in 1917, no one has seen an airplane. I mean, I know that sounds odd for us, but in Portugal, the majority of the people standing in that field had never seen any type of aerial phenomenon at all. None. No planes, no blimps, nothing. They had never seen anything. So this is their introduction uh, to something that flies in the sky, this disc-shaped object which comes over the crowd. And, you know, too many witnesses went on the record and stated this. So that that's the essence of, of Fatima. And, of course... You know, people will go, well, hey, you know, the, what about the secrets and, and all this stuff? What people don't understand, the seek, the so-called secrets came 11 years after the event. There are no secrets in 1917. But when Lucia is 18, eight years later, she's hustled off to a convent, basically takes a vow of silence, and years later writes down the first two secrets. So we don't touch the secrets. We don't even go there. Because that gets into a whole bailiwick, which I don't really want to open. So we're just looking at what, what really happened, what really took place, what flew over. Was it, a, you know, whatever this thing was, it came out of the cloud and then descended over the crowd. And, the, and according to many of the witnesses, the people were terrified at what they were seeing, absolutely terrified at what was going on. So, you know, you got to take, take that as it may and, and this is Fatima 2, lots more information. Um, Fatima 1 has been selling really good. It's on our Vimeo channel, The Watchman Chronicles. But I would encourage your listeners to buy from you because you guys get a taste of the proceeds. And when they do, when they do that, they support the Hagman and Hagman show, and that's what it's all about. So that's why we it. have that affiliate 
few guys. And I, I have to tell everyone the the first and right there on if you're watching this on YouTube, right there on the right, uh, Fatima, uh, click that. You can watch the trailer. It's a great piece of investigative reporting, and that's Thanks. exactly what it is. I mean. Exactly so, what it is. Yeah, right. And um, now how many are going to be in the series? How many DVDs ultimately do you think? Well, I mean, this we'll probably stop with Fatima 2 unless, unless something incredible happens and we're allowed actually to go into the sanctuary. And I'm, I'm not holding my breath on that. But, uh, you know, we've got Fatima 1 and Fatima 2. All this is part of the Watchmen Chronicles. That's the title of the overarching series. The Watchmen Chronicles. The first film in that is UFOs are real and um, in their own words, where people come in on the record and discuss it. Then our second film is Fatima, Miracle of a Sun Harbinger of Deception. Fatima 2, right now the working title is Strange Phenomenon, because it's, it's just bizarre. It's just bizarre, the stuff that we've uncovered. This whole idea of goddess worship, which was all through ancient Portugal, um, which basically traces back to the Celts. But along with this, you know, this is ancient. And then you get the Romans and the Greeks coming, or the Roman culture coming in. They built a temple to Diana. So even though Diana is much later, um, it's the same thing. It's the worship of the feminine. It's goddess worship. And this is what we found there. And we've got um, some wonderful people who come on the record that we interviewed just a few months ago that weigh in. Carl Tytrip, for instance, um, comes in on the record. Uh, who does a wonderful job, who has spent a lot of time investigating on um, these ancient gods and goddesses that, that were permeated uh, the, the Greco-Roman culture and, and way before that, coming from you know Nimrod and, and, uh, and, and Mesopotamia. And then, of course, we got Dr. Michael Lake. So there's a whole bevy of people that address this one aspect of it, the idea of ancient goddess worship which was all throughout Portugal. And we didn't know that going over there. I mean, we, we had no idea of what was actually um, in the country, the principality that was, that was governing that entire area. We had no idea until we got over there. And, and I got to tell you, the warfare was, was through the roof. Even, even now as I'm doing Fatima 2, the warfare has just been bonkers. I mean, I've never experienced anything like it. Um, wow. All sorts of weird stuff going on. All sorts of weird stuff going on. Man, okay. So, the, yeah. The, so wow. And we're going to keep you in our prayers, too. But this is an important piece of research historically. By the way, 100 years now, 100 years, uh, well, 100 years ago, last month now, uh, the apparition on Fatima, just to, just to remind people. All, all right. Um, L.A., I, I don't want to take any, any of your time. Where... What do you want to focus on here, uh, given your time tonight? What's what's on, what's most important in your heart as well as on your radar? What do you have your sights on? Well, I mean, I think we're in a, in a window of time that is incredibly volatile. I mean, the North Korean nut job rocket man's launching rockets, and this guy's a nutcase. <laughs> I mean, this guy this guy is certifiable, and unless the I mean the Chinese the Chicoms have to step up here. Uh, that it's got to be a three-prong attack, and I've discussed this on my show and other shows. But you know, the South Koreans got to buck up and and try to finish what happened in the 50s with the Korean War. The Chicoms need to go in there at the same time, and the Japanese, quite frankly, <coughs> even though <coughs> excuse me, 
they don't have a standing army per se the way they did before World War II. <clears throat> they need to buck up, and we need to do air support. Um, this guy needs to be taken out. I mean, he's uh, he, he's volatile. And, and, of course, that's just one aspect. When you get into what's happening in Iran and Saudi Arabia, and, you know, um, I, I haven't really – I've talked about this somewhat, and I'll talk about this in, in, in my show a little later on tonight. But, uh, you know, it's interesting that um, what we see is Hollywood pushing against Trump for the last year. We see the world stage, you know, calling him a clown and all this. We see the Clintons in the bushes, okay? And now all of a sudden, Jared Kushner goes over to Saudi Arabia several weeks before the purge happens, okay? And all of a sudden, we learn about the bakshish, the money laundering, you know, the money laundering, which has been going on there for decades. In my opinion, it will point back to the Clintons and further back to the Bushes. They've all been in bed together. Everybody's been, I'm not, look, I, I don't know, but this thing goes deep, follow the money. And I hope they've got the guts to follow the money. It will implicate, in my opinion, the Clintons. You know, let me put it this way. Could the Clintons and the Bushes be involved? In my opinion, I think that they are. So that's pushback from, from the Donald. That's the way he operates. Uh, Hollywood, uh, you know, he's not my president, all this nonsense. Okay. So all of a sudden, we got Pedogate. We got Weinstein yep. coming out. And this, in my opinion, is Trump pushing back against what he's known about for years. Because it's all, you know, under the radar. He's, he's hobnob with these people. He knows what's going on. The, the difference is, now he's got the power to do something about it. And all these loudmouths over there, Al Franken, I mean, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. Conyers, I mean, this whole thing is coming apart at the seams. So um, the deep state is alive and well. By the way, I was told in March from a spook at the Hear the Watchman conference that met me that the next war was going to be in North Korea. I mean, I was told this. Guy told me it's already it's already on the board. It's already there. So this is just a few months after Trump takes office, uh, and we see that this this you know Rocket Man is is crazy. I mean, there's there's just no doubt about it. Uh, okay, did he? I'm just curious. When you say the next war is going to be in uh, on, on the Korean Peninsula, are we talking about like an occupation force in addition to uh, taking out their nuclear capabilities, or, or, or and will it be a, a in well with the information you got, will it be a multinational co like a coalition, or is it going to be? I, I think it has to be a coalition. But what I'm alarmed about is the idea of an EMP. Um, and these guys are playing for keeps. You know, the Iranians are also in bed with the North Koreans. So it, it's a very, very complex mix. And then you've got the Iranians hating the Saudis and the Saudis hating the Iranians. And, you know, just, just last week, um, the, the up and coming king is calling, you know, Iran the new Hitler. I mean, that's, it's funny how Hitler just gets bandied around. Everybody, you know, Trump's called Hitler. The Mullahs are called Hitler. I mean, everybody's, there's not enough Adolf to go around here. But the idea of an electromagnetic pulse weapon has been something that's been on my radar for years. And with everything that's going on, nothing would surprise me. Uh, nothing would surprise me. Now, my Internet went down. We had a power outage up here in the Santa Monica Mountains. And so my Internet went down in the studio. So, you know, I, I've been scrambling for the last two days. A guy came up and said, yeah, everything got fried. And uh, he replaced everything. 
It took him about two hours to replace it, and so everything's working now in the studio again. But with an EMP electromagnetic pulse weapon, not so fast, citizen. It doesn't come back up. And the phone doesn't work, and the electricity goes off, and the refrigerator doesn't happen, and your cell phone, no one calls in, no one calls out. You don't get any news because your radio won't work, your television won't work. Anything with an on and off switch refuses to work. Your car won't start, and it doesn't come back on in 24 hours. And if it happens in wintertime, millions will die within the first 10 days. Millions. And so that's what we're, that's always been one of my greatest fears. The idea of an EMP. And then you've got the Israelis when you throw them into the mix, uh, with, you've got Hezbollah in the north. Uh, what was it? Just, just today, some wrestler refused to, uh, you know, uh, just basically defaulted his match other than touch an Israeli. So this is, where do these people learn this? You know, where, when they're born into the world, they have to be taught that. They have to be taught that type of hatred. And so what we see in the Middle East specifically is a cauldron of insanity, which has been brewing for decades. And at some point, and it's got the lid on it like a pressure cooker, at this, at some point, this thing's going to blow. And I would say that the Israelis and the Saudis will join forces. And, and I think that's being... That's all behind the scenes. That's conjecture on my part. But I think, because there's an old Middle Eastern saying, <coughs> the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And the Iranians, you know, have been at loggerheads with the Israelis for years uh, and have been saber-rattling against the Israelis. So make no mistake about it, I think that's where it's going. And the Saudis uh, and the Iranians are not in bed together either. So I think we're going to look at the Saudis and the Israelis Form a coalition on some, on some, um, you know, w with some certain um, parameters, which which they'll use, and because you know to get to Iran, you can fly over Saudi Arabia. Think about it. So you get the Saudi Air Force, the Israeli Air Force. They take out the Bashir reactor, which is what they've been wanting to do anyway. At the same time, they launch against Hezbollah. They launch against Hamas, and they cut the heads off the snakes, which needs to be done. Because make no mistake about it, the, 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 the first chance Hezbollah gets to attack Israel, that's what they'll do. Just like Hamas. The, the, the hatred, the vitriol has never stopped and never will. So, you know, I look at, I look at where we are as a culture. I look at the world. I look at the fact that, that, that tax reform may be held up by eight people. Just eight people will decide the vote. Meanwhile, millions of us are, are, are not starving to death, but the tax burden is so onerous that I borrow money every year. I borrow money every year from my PayPal account. Hallelujah. Thank God it's there. I mean, I, I can borrow whatever I need in less than, less than an hour. It's just because I got AAA credit and, and I, I pay it back. And, uh, but, but sometimes we have to float by, by PayPal. Why? Because 50% of my income, roughly 50%, goes to, <clears throat> The federal government and the, and the state, and then you got property taxes and personal insurances. <coughs> and, me, under yeah, and when you when you've got employees as well, you've got to cover. Yeah, I mean that that becomes an entirely new nightmare. I'm right there with you. Uh, La Marzulli is our guest. La Marzulli .net. La hold that thought. Geopolitical coverage of the news. Who'd have thought, by the way? Uh, 20 years ago, Saudi Arabia and Israel, just as an aside, kind of teaming up together. 
Um, who, who would have thought that we would be even today in this position with North Korea? net. We're going to come right back. By the way, don't forget HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Fatima. That It's a tremendous investigative uh, work by L.A. Marzulli. Stay right where you're at. Network break. Two minutes. Very special guest, L.A. Marzulli, lamarzulli.net. And if you go to HagmanReport.com, click on the uh, link to the Watchman Chronicles or to Fatima, and that's part of the Watchman Chronicles. I gotta, I've, I gotta tell you, what a great piece of investigative reporting about Fatima, the miracle of the sun or a harbinger of deception. And I, I like, I like the approach that L.A. has done, um, with respect to his particular investigative work. Now, uh, we're going to cut him loose about five minutes before the top of the hour, or a little bit le- a little bit uh, earlier than that, because he's got a radio show to prepare for himself. Now, having said all of that, let's, uh, L.A., we, during the break, we were talking about the censorship issue, and right before airtime, I, I heard, the, obviously, I, for whatever reason, I didn't catch this earlier, but censorship for all of conservative Christians, conservatives, really taking place. Carl Gallops has just taken off of YouTube. And, of course, you're fighting um, to stay on as we are on YouTube. What's What the heck's going on here? Well, I mean, basically, I mean, it'd be very interesting to actually go to Google and, and, and walk in and see the weasel who is sitting behind his, <laughs> his or her desk, you know, deciding, like, well, there's that Marzilli guy again with that acceleration <laughs> radio. <laughs> I'll just nix him right now and demonetize him. <laughs> I mean, that's what you. I, I would. I'd give anything to see that. I mean, I really would. I'm being serious here. I'd give anything to see that. You know, what, who is the person, and 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 then what is their worldview? You know, what what do they believe or not believe? And the fact is that Carl Gallup's got taken down. Uh, all of the stuff got wiped out. I know Timothy Alberino was another guy that got hit. I've been demonetized with acceleration radio because my my content is not not friendly to all sorts of advertisers because I might say something that might offend somebody. Isn't that special? I mean, it's just we're we're so far down the rabbit hole, and I love these anti fog clowns. You know, no no fascism here. You know, love love Trump's hate and all this stuff. Meanwhile, they're 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 spraying stuff in people's faces. Um, Free speech is okay as long as it's the speech that they want to hear. That's right. So someone like Dan Coulter or you or myself or anybody else, you know, that, that has conservative Christian views, somehow, you know, we're the problem. Somehow we're racist. It's just like Hillary Clinton, make no mistake about it, folks, Hillary Clinton lost the election because of something that she said in her hubris. And when, when she did this, that was it. When I saw the clip the next day, I'll never forget it. I looked at my wife and I said, she just lost the election. Because she said this, half of Trump supporters can be defined this way. 
They can be put into a basket full of deplorables. You know, homophobic, Islamophobic, racist, agrophobic, you know, open borders. I mean, that's what... And when she said that, it's like, okay, you just you just basically nixed how many millions of people out of the mix by yep. what you were doing? How many millions of people? And that's who she really is. That's what she really thinks. So the fact that that look, I had a plan, and let, let me let me get into this a little bit because I don't get I don't I don't often get a time to rant like this on on shows, and I just thank you for the opportunity. But the reason why there's no war on terror because they want it that way. The powers that be, the globalists, want the war on terror to continue just the way it is, where nothing gets done. Everyone lives in fear. You know, ISIS is planning a new attack over Christmas. <laughs> you know, so, okay, that's great. So here's how you stop terrorism. It's really simple. It, it's so simple that if we wanted to do it, we could have done it, you know, 10 years ago. But we don't want to do it. The deep state doesn't want to do it, and Europe doesn't want to do it. And the moment you say something like this, oh, you're an Islamophobe. So here's what you do. Let's take the, the jihadi several weeks ago who hopped in a, in a truck and ran over a bunch of people. Okay? So the first thing that happens, if the jihadi is alive, if the jihadi is alive, he's immediately tried as a war criminal, number one. Number two, the jihadi's family, entire family, is arrested. Mother, father, wife, sister, everybody's arrested, everybody's held in separate cells, everybody is questioned. That's the first, the second thing. Third thing, the house in which the jihadi is living in, if it's his parents' house, whatever, if, if he's living in an apartment but his parents are found to be complacent in some way, that house is sold and the money is given to, drumroll please, the victims. Next we go to the imam. The jihadi had to have been going somewhere. So we talk to the imam again, and we find out, is he complacent? Did he, what did he know? What, if, if he knows anything, if it's found out that, there's, that there was a, a cell in that mosque, if it's found out that he knew anything like that, the imam is deported back to the country of origin, the mosque is sold, the money is given back to the victim's families, the jihadi's family, the jihadi's family, is immediately deported back to the country of origin. No excuses. I don't care what's going on. They're immediately deported back to their country of origin. So let's say, just for instance, let's say some jihadi uh, hails from Qatar. So he's got a wife and three kids, and, you know, whatever, they're all deported. Now, if the wife is complacent, then she's, she's tried as a war criminal. But everybody else is shipped away and the house is sold. That's how you stop terror. Because you send a message. Oh, and I'm not done yet. And if it happened with Qatar, a global community comes out and basically puts sanctions on Qatar. And the first time it happens, the sanctions are not mild, but they're not, you know, onerous. The second time, it gets intense. The third time, everything gets shut off. Everything gets shut off. Huge sanctions. That's how you stop the war on terror. That's there, how there you, you do it. I totally agree with you. And uh, J Jackie, the office administrative assistant for the office, uh, Jackie, just go ahead and let me know when we get the emails from CARE, Council on American Islamic Relations, the uh, unindicted co-conspirator from the Holy Land Foundation trial. Make a note of that. And also Right Wing Watch. And who's the other one? 
uh, SPLC. Thank you. All right. So we got that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. But but you're serious. I mean that that's serious. That's right. But how were look the Benghazi uh, the 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 lower hanging fruit of the the attacker in Benghazi U.S. trial. He walks on on what twelve of the sixteen counts gets gets uh, nailed on four of the lesser counts. That's it. This is ridiculous how this is playing out. Well, it's it, 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 it just it's, it's it's the way the game is played. Nothing nothing gets done. The deep state controls um, a, a lot of what we see. Um, and and see, part of the problem is, I mean, everything can be fixed. It, it, it's very very broken, but it can be fixed if we wanted to fix it. I just I just outlined a very simple plan how to stop terror. That's how you fight a war against an enemy that that you can't declare a war on. You know, the jihadi blows himself up. We go and sell his house and give the money to the victims, deport everybody, sell the house. You know, that, I've already outlined it, so I'm not going to reiterate, but that's what you do. But they don't, they're not interested in doing that. They're not interested in changing anything. The powers that be in Congress aren't interested in term limits because they have nice cushy jobs like McCain, like Dianne Feinstein who's going to sit there till she's 92 years old. Are you kidding me? Are you flipping kidding me? What is she, what is she doing in the Senate? There, we need term limits. Everybody gets two terms, and that's it. Heave ho! And what that would do is it keeps the cronyism, the good old boy network, and it cleans house constantly, cleaning house, which is what needs to be done. And the American people are so stupid that we won't coalesce and go. We've had it. We're done with this stuff. You guys suck because you don't get anything done because it's you know you're scratching this guy's back and this guy's scratching your back and you've been there for 30 or 40 years and it's a good old boy network nonsense you clean house everybody gets two terms that's it which means if you did that in the midterms most of congress would go do you realize that absolutely most of congress, most of congress would go i would sit there and go hallelujah we now have a chance <clears throat> we now have a chance to take the country back because right now and you've heard me rant about this. We're paying, I'm paying close to 50% yep. of my hard-earned income in taxes. What That's can right. I tell you? And it's and as you pointed out, eight people, really eight lawmakers, could hold this entire thing up, and yeah. that, and that's the plan of of the the permanent uh, state, the shadow government, of which I believe the deep state is part of, obviously the shadow government, and, and that's that's to, to throw a a, uh, a monkey wrench into the the cogs of this of this agenda, and this is why the anti-Trump agenda is so uh, hideous, I believe. It's to take down the uh, the presidency, the president, and of course uh, the, to go against the will of the American people. But yeah, the, 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 this it's, wow. Do you think, will Donald Trump survive? I, I want to ask you this question. Do you think Donald Trump will survive the special counsel, all of the hits he's taken on the media, or from the media, all of the uh, antagonists, all of the people on the inside, the inner circle, the, the so-called uh, uh, Republicans, but uh, the uh, Republican establishment? Yeah. Is he going to survive, do you think? I, I, you know, that's a really good question. I mean, from what I've heard is that Trump is now surrounding himself with private security. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But, you know, he doesn't trust um, those who are hired, basically, to 
to to be his bodyguard. Well, what about um, political survival? Uh, will he survive impeachment? Will he survive that that onslaught of uh, the Russian meme of collusion? That that's just a bunch of BS. Is he gonna, is he going to make it through that? Well, so I mean, the bottom line is he's pushing back, as I stated earlier. I think the, the what's happening in Hollywood and the fact that. It's all coming out now, all the groping, like, you know, Al, Al Franken and others and, 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 and others of his ilk. It, it's starting to come back. I think that's his way of pushing back. Um, and who knows what's really going on behind the scenes. This guy's a fighter. You know, he's a fighter and he's been around. He's not some, you know, moron that got where he is by being like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. This guy knows how to run a meeting. He knows how to talk to people. And, and build bridges to people. Um, he knows, he knows politics on some level. Certainly not the dirty nonsense that happens in Washington. But he knows, he knows having gone through the building permit process, which is one of the most onerous things you can possibly do. So <laughs> yeah. you buy, yeah, you buy a piece of property and now you gotta have all these yahoos tell you what you can or cannot do with it. Oh, and by the way, while you're, while you're getting your building permit, you're paying taxes. Can't live there, but they're paying taxes, all right. I mean, this is how crazy everything's gotten. <clears throat> there was a sign out here, I'll never forget it, a billboard on someone's bumper, and it said this, that a building permit uh, should be, no, food stamps should be, let me let me get this right. Food stamps should be as difficult to get as a building permit. I love it. Yeah, you <laughs> do. Because where I live in the pristine Santa Monica Mountains, if I wanted to build a house up here, let's say I bought a piece of property and I wanted to build a house. First thing that they do, and I want to go down this rabbit hole, they bring a tractor out, a backhoe out, an excavator, and they dig a diagonal line, right, through your property. Diagonal line from one corner to the other. Okay. They go down about five or six feet. While they're doing this, they have a Chumash elder or representative from the tribe at $75 an hour standing there making sure there's no artifacts on your property. Are you serious? Are you being... I, I am I am deadly serious. And that's just the beginning, my friend. Oh, that's just the beginning. It is it is almost impossible. It's it's a two-year process in, in, in California, Malibu, California, sometimes three years to build. You need... You need environmental impacts. You need engineering. You need soils. I mean, they bring everybody. I'm just building a single-family home for crying out loud. Whoa, wait a minute. We need an environmental impact study because, you know, we've got a snail here or something. It's just, it's just be. this is the liberal wacky state of California where nothing gets done, where nothing gets done. And this is why. This is, okay, I did not know that. Uh, of course, um, nothing would surprise me with respect to California. Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, diagonal line, five feet. Uh, okay. Uh, now I've heard yeah. it all. I, I, okay. Wow. Well, well, hey, we, we got about five minutes left, uh, together. Um, anywhere you want to go, if you want to, if, 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 Fatima, by the way, folks, get Fatima. Go to HagmanReport.com, click on the link, get Fatima, the investigation there. Please do that. LA, in the remaining five minutes. Take us wherever, and then um, because I know you have to get ready for your 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 radio show. Well, it's great to be here, and uh, uh, you know, I just just thank you for having me on. It's just an honor. Um, I would say this, that I've been saying this at conferences uh, all year long. 
if we are intellectually honest, no one knows where we are and what this is. And what I mean by that, we're on this little blue planet, and I'll just I'll just pick it up and show it to you. Here it is. Not flat, boys. Not a flat Earth. Now, sir. Now, if it was flat, why can't these clowns go to the edge, all right, and take the pictures and come back? No one does that. Meanwhile, we've got satellites which go around the globe because it's round. So stop drinking the Kool-Aid with the flat Earth thing. But if we are honest, we have no idea where this little blue planet is in, in regard to the universe. If the universe as we know it is analogous to the United States of America, are we in Duluth, Tampa, Dallas, Los Angeles, Cape Cod? We don't know. We have no idea where we are and what this is. Nobody does. No one does. And yet, and this is something that's been sort of really been on my heart lately. If there was another game in town than Jesus, we'd know about it. If there was another way if, that somehow relieves us of our depravity, if there was another way, you know, out of this thing, we'd know about it by now. You know, somebody would have come up, hey, I got this new thing, it's really cool. <clears throat> but that's not what we get. What we get is the old pantheon of gods, we get Hinduism, we get Islam, and none of those, everything I just mentioned, all of them, they never deal with man's depravity. There's no way out of your depravity. There's only one, one paradigm on this planet that deals with man's depravity, and that is Christianity. And it says, you are a sinner, just like I am a sinner. And that when we go to Jesus, who paid the price for our sin, we can have eternal life, our sins can be cleansed from us, <clears throat> Our sin code, <coughs> excuse me, as Russ Dizdar would call it, can be changed, and we can be made in the image and likeness of Him. Now, that's the good news, and we get eternal life. That's the good news. And that's the only game in town. I mean, I've, I've tried the whole Hindu thing. You know, I did the New Age thing. Nothing works. There's only one. And if there was something else, we would have known about it by now. There's nothing else. That's it. He's coming back. Buckle up. With that, we will let you go. Amen. Very well said. Wow. L.A. Marzulli in rare form tonight. Uh, uh, tune into Acceleration Radio, his radio show tonight uh, as well. And how many nights are you on? You're 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 on. You you got more radio shows than, than we do. Uh, no, no. I'm only I'm only on one night a week. That's it. But but I, okay. All right. And that's from 6 p.m. Pacific. Just an hour. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. But folks, L.A. Morzilli again in rare form. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. God bless. Wow. Uh, indeed, you know, I'm still having trouble processing that California building, that whole building process in California. But uh, I want to thank L.A. Marzulli for for coming on board tonight. Uh, to me, um, the information he provided. And, and, and think about what he said as well. Think about whether it's about censorship or whether it's about the uh, threat of war or even the very astute observations about how to handle terrorism. Right on the money, right? Right on the money. Now, a couple of things. Buckle up for this. I don't know how many people have, have know about this, the gativity scenes. Have you heard about that? You know, you've heard about nativity scenes, of course, in the, um, the nativity scenes with, uh, with respect to Christmas. Now we're going to be forced into gativity scenes. Rush Limbaugh talked about this. I think it was today. 
Yeah, this today. Rush Limbaugh talked about this, where uh, Twitter was blowing up with different uh, memes. Uh, and I'm getting really tired of, of having this shoved down my throat. This homosex, uh, this homosexual, uh, tolerant, you've got to tolerate this, this, this whole, the, the abhorrent lifestyle. And, and I, and I told you yesterday, I got a letter. It was addressed and directed to me saying, lay off, please lay off, uh, the homosexual, uh, uh, stuff. And I can't do that because, look, this is not about this is not about equal rights. It never was about equal rights. It's about special rights. And my complaint exists with those who are seeking special rights. But now we've got this gativity scene. There's apparently a children's book, by the way, that depicts a homosexual Santa in a uh, biracial marriage. And now that there's now there's a gay or a homosexual nativity scene, it's being popularized and called gativity to Joseph's kneeling over a baby Jesus. There you have it. This is where we are today. And, and we're, we are supposed to accept this. And Rush Limbaugh talked about an article in a feminist publication called uh, Refinery29 describing the scene. Now, now think about this. What if it wasn't Mary and Joseph who met their child that night, but instead Murray and Joseph. How obscene. How li- how literally offensive is this? Or Marty and Joseph. Because after all, they say, Jesus had two fathers. Now think about that logic. That's not logic at all. Remember, Heather has two mommies the little kid's book that was being forced on children about 15 years ago. You might remember that in the New York public school system. And this, of course, is what Rush Limbaugh was talking about. Now, Jesus had two fathers, of course, God and Joseph. There was not a woman in this gativity scene, and yet a feminist group is publicizing this. Um, What's the agenda here? I said on my radio show today, this morning, the agenda, whether you look at uh, the agenda is is the moral, the attack on, on our morality and our spirituality and the silence by the church, the silence where, where there is silence by the church, the silence of the Christians and the silence of the conservatives in order to, uh, to, to adhere to this immorality is deafening and it's telling. Now we're not going to be silenced by anyone. Well, oh, sure, of course, we're going to be subjected to and subjugated by uh, organizations like YouTube. Much to the delight, by the way, and I could never really understand this, but I do now. Much to the delight of self-professed, some certain self-professed Christians who say, well, you know, they're just, they're selling fear porn, meaning us. And you get, you know, I'm not going to go over this whole thing again, but the template is the same you know uh, I'm not going to I'm just going to stop there because I'm not going to I'm not going to provide any oxygen to the fire of destruction by the by the individuals who are coming after us because they're 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 scratching for relevance they're looking for that relevance when they have none they're looking for an audience where none exists they're looking for that that approval 
where none will ever be. And, and they're so unhappy with themselves. And I'm content just to leave them be and self-destruct. The bigger fight, in my view, is the fight we are fighting with respect to, well, with respect to the people who are taking us off the air, that will be taking us off the air. The censorship, as you heard L.A. talk about, about YouTube, from YouTube, you know, folks, it, it, it's not going to be long, I don't believe, that we're not going to be found on YouTube. It's not going to be long, perhaps, where certain... And I'm not talking necessarily, I'm not talking about Global Star, or not even necessarily BTR, but certain infrastructures. You won't be able to, we, you're not going to be able to hear us. Why? Be, because there, there will be this, this, uh, method of, hey, you are, you are talking about Islam in a bad way. You're talking about, uh, homosexuality in a way that we don't agree with, so we're going to have to silence you. You, you've heard this before. The only reason I'm bringing this up now, is to let you know it is coming sooner than than we ever thought. But see, so what do we do in that case? We have to band together, except those who want to destroy us, that they claim to be on the same side or on the side of, of God and Christianity, which they're not. They're not. So, But we have to stick together, we have to band together, and we have to fight together, because we can't give up. We cannot give up. Because what what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is to what is, is to just hang everything up. We cannot go there. Uh, one, I'm very thankful to have. Speaking of sponsors as well, because our sponsors stick with us, and I want to thank them for that. Because they get oh my goodness, they get emails about us, and do yeah, you know what they're talking about? And of course. Um, just like Carl Gallops was taken taken off the air, uh, off of YouTube for a while, and then people speak up and, and they're, you know, he's back on. But but our sponsors take take a chance with us. But so I want to thank all of our sponsors and, and all of our partners in this radio endeavor. And I'm going to thank you for for supporting us. But think about this: we've got OmahaStakes.com. If you haven't gone there yet, we have got a special deal for you. And I'd love to get Omaha Steaks. I in fact. Uh, what is this? The the Thanksgiving or the uh, Thanksgiving holiday messed me up. It was earlier this week when I was my wife and I cooked up uh, a couple of fillets from Omaha Steaks. But if you're struggling to find the perfect gift for someone who's got it all, the holidays they're fast approaching. Think about this. Think about giving the gift of food, uh, the steaks from Omaha Steaks. Let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and how for just forty nine ninety nine you can't beat that. You can get my family gift pack when you go to omahasteaks.com and enter our code HH in the search bar. That's 75% off. Omaha Steaks, HH in the search bar. For $49.99, you get my family gift pack. And by the way, while you're there, just check out the website because they've got over 500 gourmet gift ideas. They've got great steak experiences. They've got some of the most flavorful, tender aged beef, plus seafood, poultry, pork, lamb, and veal. It's, it's unbelievable. Right now, Omaha Steaks is giving to our listeners an exclusive savings. Listen to everything that you'll get for under $50. Two filet mignons, two top sirloins, two boneless pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts, some of the best chicken I've ever had. 
four burgers, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steak seasoning packet, four kielbasa sausages, and when you order this, you'll get four additional kielbasa sausages free, plus they're famous Omaha seasoning packet. It's just fabulous. Folks, go to omahasteaks.com, enter HH in the search bar. That's our code, HH in the search bar, omahasteaks.com, enter HH in the search bar. I'm going to tell you, you want, you're looking for the, the, the best gift for that person hard to buy for? omahasteaks.com, HH in the search bar. So, coming up next, coming up next, Stan Dale. That's right, Stan Dale. The man behind the uh, EMP proofing. It's its pretty great. I was talking to him and Holly earlier today. What great people they are. Stay with us. Network break. Be right back. Coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Back to this edition of the Hagman Report. It is Tuesday. All right, thank you. It's Tuesday, November twenty eighth, twenty seventeen. Tomorrow, I'm going to be covering in my morning show some information that that I'm, I've been watching, and I think it's going to be breaking. That is the cover up, the beginning and the end of the cover up. There, are, Judicial Watch has hinted. Dom Fitton, head of Judicial Watch, is hinting around that there's explosive new Clinton Lynch. Clinton Lynch tarmac documents, and of course, back on June 29, 2016, the uh, Obama Attorney General uh, Loretta Lynch tried to convince us that the that, that tarmac meeting nothing to see here. It was just a private conversation. Now, uh, Judicial Watch, of course, filed the Freedom of Information Act. They got nothing, and they they took it to court. Now they're getting documents, of course. Even even under the Sessions Department of Justice, not fast enough, and certainly a lot of it being redacted. But there's, and even though some some cynical people might say, ah, nothing's going to happen anyway. At least the exposure is starting. Um, it's an indictment, in my view, of the Freedom of Information Act. The effectiveness thereof. It's an indictment of that, but it's also a uh, a very uplifting thought to to, to believe that the um, that the information is going to come out for all to be exposed. So tune in tomorrow to the Doug Hagman Radio Show, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, AM, 9 to 10 Eastern, on BTR and Global Star Radio Network. With that, Stan Dale, welcome to the program. Good evening, sir. I hear Joe is uh, still out a bit under the weather. Yeah, he'll be back tomorrow, I'm sure. But, yeah, he's still nursing his his, his throat and uh, flu-like issues. But he, he's coming back. He's uh, doing better. So that's flu. I tell you what. Uh, yeah, I, Holly and I actually went and got our shots this year. Hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah, there's just so much of it around, and you know, being well, an older fellow, they said I was very prone to it. So, gave well, me well, great big needles. I'm a recluse. What I do is I just go between the studio and, and my home, and um, um, I keep everyone else out. So, I, do you do any shopping at the Walmart or grocery store? Oh heck, no, 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 no. Who does I've that? Got, I, I've got lackeys for that. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. No, actually, <laughs> actually, we send the, we send the uh, the flu resistant kids out for that. Oh wait, right. shows out. Yeah. Anyway, but when the packages come back in, you know, even that could have 
you know, germs on it. It's going to be difficult. That's kind of what made up our mind. Well, you'd know this. How long? Okay, so if someone's got the flu, and I don't know, they sneeze on a, on a package, and, and I, I was, my wife and I were happened to be talking about this the other day, and we, we were curious, or, or a plastic bag, you know, one of the uh, uh, grocery bags. How long does does that last? Like, how long do the germs last on that? Well, I guess you know? it depends on the particular strain, uh, uh, on you know what, how long it, it lasts for, uh, you know how resilient it is, and things like that. But usually, uh, they'll survive on hard surfaces for about twenty four hours. Wow. Okay. Yuck. Yeah. All right. I, I, so I, I, hang on. I mean. My grocery list: bleach. Okay, bleach, and let's see what else. And, and uh, biohazard uh, what do you mask? call it? Um, Lysol spray. I mean, we have that in the car with us all the time. That's right. The, the wipes and the spray and all that. Yeah, and, yeah. and they, the hand sanitizer. I'm a big believer in all of that. I'm, I'm kind of. I've become a germaphobe of late. So, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know what got my wife and I talking about that, but we were. We were actually wondering, well, how long does it, you know... Uh, I'd say that if last? you get past six hours, you're probably pretty good. There's some sources say that they might be 24 hours they'll last, you know, that they'll survive. But at least six hours uh, on the hard surfaces, on clothing and uh, on tissues, you know, like you blow your nose maybe 30 to 45 minutes, uh, they tend to dry out. And on the skin, if uh, you get touched and it's on your skin, maybe 20 minutes and it'll die. But... Uh, well, it's still it's not good. This still yeah. it's not good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, joke didn't land. All right, Stan. Where do we start tonight? You've got so much going on, as we spoke about off air. There's just all, uh, well. Wow. You know, one thing that's been kind of on on my mind in my uh, still moments, which are are few and far between at the moment because of this this EMP shield business. But one of the things that's been bugging me is about potential identity of the Middle East Antichrist. Now, I know I've been pushing, you know, Mohammed bin Salman, but there's always been one little nagging thing in the back of my mind about him. Um, you know, the, as far as MBS, you know, the, the Nostradamus-type label for the third Antichrist, and that fits what they call this one, MBS, that is still from a source that's not biblical. That is from a, a guy who, you know, Nostradamus, who, you know, burned a candle and looked into a you know, a little pool of water, and he, you know, kind of, to me, he went to sources that weren't uh, from from the Lord, uh, I think. So it doesn't mean that some of his forecasts, which can be kind of interpreted this way or that way, doesn't mean that they aren't correct, but they're from a not trustworthy source. And I'm thinking, did he put these clues in, or was he instructed to put these clues in his writings to throw people off at the end times, because that's what Satan would want. Now, so I, I, I challenge my own thoughts all the time. And so I thought, all right, Scripture says that this Antichrist is going to be pushed on or, or you know, threatened by the king of the south. Well, what's south of Saudi Arabia that would be some major power in the Middle East? Uh, nothing, really. I mean, you know, Egypt is kind of west of there, and south is kind of down into the Indian Ocean, you know, maybe a corner of uh, northeast Africa, but that's it. And I thought, well, okay, there was one other guy that I have never, uh, you know, uh, put up, or if I did, I took it down a long time ago, uh, Qasim Soleimani, the Quds Force commander for Iran. Now, why would why would he fit the bill? Well, he 
is a natural-born Assyrian. You know, Syria, uh, Iran, all that was part of ancient Assyria. And I looked up his birthplace. A little town with 240 uh, people in it. Not a biggie. But it was one of these towns that make, uh, that their trade is to dig the, the wells that are called Qasems, Q-A-S-E-M. And his name is Qasem, Q-A-S-S-E-M, Soleimani. They make these wells to take water from one source to, to their city, uh, by using vertical wells down into a shaft that they dig that, that transfers water through coarse gravel and whatever, and it's a water supply system. Now, he worked, this Qasem Soleimani, he worked as a youth for the water company there in the little town he was from, and so he was trained in the movements of water and you know, hydrostatics and how they all work. I know that it says the Antichrist is going to send out a flood, you know, after Israel, uh, in the end days. Maybe he will have that knowledge, I'm thinking. If he were the Antichrist in uh, Iran and, and into Syria, where, of course, his forces are moved now, if he were the Antichrist, then pushing on him from the south would be uh, Prince Mohammed bin Salman from Saudi Arabia. And he is doing that. He is pushing on Iran, uh, you know, trying to stir up a war between the two of them, because from the south, you know, uh, Mohammed bin Salman is representing a country that are a Sunni, and they're going to try to wipe out the Shiites in Iran. So I may have to revise my thoughts on this and, and lean more toward uh, Qasem Soleimani because he's getting high praise from the Khomeini there about his efforts to bring peace in the Middle East, even though he has to use warfare to do it. Uh, he's a soft-spoken man. He's uh, very smart. He's tactically brilliant. He's They call him the Rommel of the Middle East, uh, you know, like the German General Rommel. Uh, this guy just knows how to move troops and tanks and, and armament and, and win battles. And he's moved, of course, into Iraq to fill the vacuum that we left when we uh, went out of Iraq and been setting up and supporting uh, military structures and, and political structures that will help him. Now, he is surrounded by, oh, I don't know what, 40 Arab nations that are in a meeting, or it may have finished by now, they were in a meeting with Mohammed bin Salman uh, who want, they want to wipe out um, terrorism. And they've bonded together, and they've got their own military, which, you know, I do show, actually, if you go onto my show images page and click on image 43, it shows you how much power uh, that Mohammed bin Salman has collected to march against Iran, the seat of, of terrorism. They're, they're saying it's Iran who are the terrorists. Of course, Iran is saying... United States and Israel and Saudi Arabia, they are, are the ones who set up ISIS and, uh, you know, uh, made the terrorists of the world. So you can see that uh, my, my concern or my conflict in there in that there are so many signs that say that Mohammed bin Salman is a Solomon, like it says in, in uh, Revelation 13 there. Uh, you know, if you go into my show images page and, oh, scroll down probably almost to the bottom to image 14 right underneath that. Revelation 13, it says, Here is wisdom, that him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and that and his number is 603 score and 6. Now, I took that literally to mean that the answer to this riddle in Revelation 13, 18 is in the Bible. And where in the Bible was 603 score and 6 uh, you know, to number a man? And that was King Solomon. So I knew that 
if that's the correct uh, clue to us, and I've, and I've uh, interpreted correctly, that we're going to have to be looking at someone whose name is a derivative of Solomon or Solomon. And so that could be Soleimani, Suleimani, uh, Solomon, uh, all those kind of variations in the Middle East and, uh, and up as far as Turkey. Now, so I look at Qasem Soleimani, Solomon, and I look at Mohammed bin Salman. We've got two Salmans to choose from. And this has been kind of, you know, when I would have a, a spare moment, as I said, during the week, I'd think, uh, right, which one? You know, is it, okay, pushing on from the south, but who is the natural-born Assyrian? Well, I have to stretch it if I'm going to call Mohammed bin Salman uh, a natural-born uh, Assyrian, because Saudi Arabia, down that, you know, where he was in Iraq, Riyadh, and almost all the way up to uh, mm, to the Jordan, that was not part of ancient Assyria. So I'm now leaning back toward, you know, the uh, Qasem Soleimani being the militant, uh, successful uh, Middle East um, Antichrist. He has military experience that's brilliant. On a, in contrast, young Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman is youthful, he's impetuous, he's uh, unskilled in military. He's, You know, he met a bit of a defeat in Yemen down there. He showed that he wasn't... Uh, uh, trained as well as he should be in, in field tactics. And let's face it, he's been living in the palace there with his dad in Riyadh, not being out in the field and fighting battles like uh, General Qasim uh, uh, Soleimani. So that's kind of one of the things I wanted to bring to the forefront. Uh, if you look at slide 57 today, it shows the area of ancient uh, Assyria, and in the northeast corner of it there is where Qasim uh, uh, Soleimani was born. And if you click on the text underneath that, it'll take you to an article about him in um, uh, Wiki, and it'll tell you where he was born. You can look up uh, the little town if you can find it. It's so tiny that it's uh, it's called Quanet A Melek, means like the head or or chief water supply there in a little suburb called Kerman in in Iran. You can look at that on the Wiki uh, page underneath him and see that. So I'm just just telling you that I'm being flexible and saying that, you know, to fit all the clues, we've got to have an Antichrist with a Solomon-type name that's skilled in military and is really revered by his troops, and he is everywhere, and uh, is pushed on from the south by another strong power in the Middle East, and that would be, in this case, uh, Saudi Arabia. And there are other clues to fit in there, too, but that's I'm just telling people that so they can... Have a think about it. I'm going to be putting him back up on the page. Yeah, you know what? You opened my mind to the possibility of an Islamic Antichrist. I mean, I I understand where my big hang-up was or is and was is the acceptance of the Antichrist by all peoples. And I I, I had a hard time mentally um, thinking through an Islamic bloodline or Islamic anti I shouldn't say bloodline but uh, the the possibility of an Islamic Antichrist but you, you've got me rethinking that whole thought think process think about this think about this when you say that in the press we're seeing that in Iran they are hailing Qasem Soleimani as a hero because he has defeated ISIS you know ISIS uh, right. over in the Middle East now he's yes. done that now there's strong evidence that ISIS came from Saudi money in one of the family members. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Okay, so if if 
Soleimani's actions, and he continues with them, if he is able to dismantle ISIS and get rid of the terrorists that are presently on our doorstep, then even Americans would say, well, you know, he's not such a bad guy. He got rid of the terrorists, you know? And it's going to sway public opinion all across the world if he can bring peace over this terrorist stuff. Now, the other thing is, uh, right now, Saudi Arabia is in a position with the White House and with Israel's leadership, and they are drafting a peace treaty. It's a quasi-peace treaty. And will, will Mohammed bin Salman or will Qasem Soleimani endorse that peace treaty? This We've got to watch both of them because this is happening in the press as we speak. Now, Qasem Soleimani is not the um, uh, Khomeini of, of Iran. He's not the king of it. He's like a prince. Uh, he's number two. And if you look at Mohammed bin Salman at the moment, he's number two as a prince. But this week, his dad is supposed to turn the reins of Saudi Arabian government over to him. Now, it has been mentioned in the press that uh, King Salman will still be the the, uh, the head of government in title like Queen Elizabeth is, but he won't be running things. So does that mean that Mohammed bin Salman will still be a prince and still be a prince who ratifies the covenant between Israel and the many nations around them? Hmm. They're just... We've got to throw these things around almost daily in our minds uh, so that we can see uh, the support for one uh, position or another in the press, in the news. Uh, i tell you what, it's, it's exciting getting up in the morning and turning on the news to see what the heck's happening. Of course, Holly's been there four hours before me, and she just kind of gives me a cliff notes of it right then, you know, say, hey, here's what's happening today, blah, 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 blah. And I kind of go, <laughs> what time is it? <laughs> Where's my yeah. coffee? I was going to say, yeah, hey, I get it. it's like uh, my wife, you know, um, uh, you know, let me have my coffee first. Uh, don't hit me with all this stuff at once. I, I get that. And boy, that but the news, the, the cycle of the news, uh, how everything's happening so so quickly. Um, but they're very astute observations. But And I keep coming back, and I don't know why, Stan. I'm going to throw this out there. It's a non sequitur, I'm sure, but... Uh, with what happened in Las Vegas, the shooting in Las Vegas, I, I for whatever reason, I cannot, I, I just have this feeling that there is a, not just an Islamic or an ISIS connection, but a Saudi connection to that. For a, I, well, I can't really put my finger on it, I, and I can't well, explain it. Well, you but. know that the, the Twin Towers, you know, the 9-11 thing, they did kind of redact heavily a lot of the pages the government had on the Saudi involvement in, in funding those terrorists that did 9-11, so you know, if you're thinking that maybe the Saudis are involved in the Vegas thing, hey, that's not a stretch of my, my imagination. Uh, well, I agree. Well, well yeah, but, but to, to what end? And, I, and one of the... Uh-huh. Uh, did, did you happen to see that that, that uh, there, there was a, a video snip of, of uh, some guy being tr- uh, led through one of the casinos under armed guard yeah. And, I mean, you know, now that, the information I had, that was, um, the Crown Prince, uh, bin Talal that was being led through that, 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 yeah, casino. it wasn't Mohammed bin Salman for sure. And, and I don't right. know about the other guy. Uh, in, in fact, I, I don't know if the video was actually taken from a Vegas uh, casino. You just, these days, information is so easy it, to. It, Exactly, and that's a problem I have. You look at these videos, and people send us videos and images all the time. How do you authenticate this? You can't, really, because of, of the 
unless you have the original with the metadata, and even then you have to question the source. So yeah. I don't know. I anyway, know. so wow, I know. but good stuff. Good stuff. Um, on a, uh, I've been getting uh, some emails from people saying, "Oh, look, did you see what this? Um, oh, what was his name? Uh, the earthquake uh, guy that sends out all the earthquake things. Everybody reads now. Then, um, oh, anyway, we're saying about the the craton, the U.S. craton, going to be causing areas causing these earthquakes to increase, etc." Yep. And and Holly said you ought to mention this because I mentioned it back in I don't know 2012 or so. I put it up on our show images page under the New Madrid fault line stuff. But you can click on image um, 55, that first image on the page. Click on that, and you'll see the, the map that I created uh, on this particular day, whenever it was. I made the map back then. I uh, had uh, placed the USGS threat zone map and some earthquakes for that week or whatever on top of the Craton map I had so that I could draw the red line showing where the, the Craton or the hard like pillar you know, support underneath the United States uh, well all of North America actually where it was in relation to these earthquake zones and if you look at that image uh, you'll see I've drawn two red lines um, one the lower red line is on the uh, the edge of the blue, the dark blue and light blue areas, and then westward. And all that west of that line is earthquake prone. And you can see it there in the earthquake map. That's where they happened, is west of that red line, which is on the border to the, the craton, you know, the foundation of the United States. And then you look at the top red line, and it shows you the outline of the uh, Craton and where the blue zones are that USGS has put, and they're very close to being the same thing. Now, this fellow, and again, I forget the name of him, it's very popular out there, but anyway, uh, with earthquake reports and things, uh, he's saying that, okay, the earthquakes are going to increase greatly next year because the earth is, is, is slowing down. Uh, yes, the Earth is slowing down, and according to my theory, uh, hypothesis, shall I say, the Earth is going to slow down a lot quicker now than it's getting older and the sun is, you know, becoming unstable itself. It's been part of a, a phase day change. That this is going to put the brakes on the Earth due to ex, uh, excess solar wind uh, on the um, hitting the Earth's field, and also the magnetic field uh, protons that are coming in the solar wind, which hit our magnetic field and put the brakes on the, the core of the planet just a bit. Now, when you do that, it does um, weaken uh, areas or cause them to trigger that are earthquake-prone. And these red lines here, uh, the safer zones are in the top red line and the dark blue and light blues up above it, and down in Texas, down into Florida, as far as earthquake. But there are other factors that are going to you know, hit Texas all the way to Florida as far as flooding and storms that you'll see. So anyway, I thought I'd put this map up to show people uh, where the craton is, the dark blue is more stable areas, the yellow, yellowish to red and very light kind of blue-green, you don't want to be in those areas. And, you know, surprise, surprise, that's where the USGS says uh, these are earthquake-prone or seismic-prone areas, uh, right on these uh, craton borders. So you can use that map if you're thinking about moving and might help you figure out where to move to. We've even got it running through Colorado, uh, eastern Colorado anyway there. And so west of that where we are is, you know, somewhat prone to earthquakes, but not big ones. Uh, 
level if Middle East conflict uh, escalates. Uh, that's a very uh, important heads up to people that are storing uh, petroleum or gasoline or diesel or whatever. You might want to top off your supplies because the prices could very well go up if the conflict between Saudi Arabia and Iran and the various allies, you know, escalates, just like they say. This week, in fact, the Israelis have uh, put their Iron Dome missile defense shield, mounted it on at least one uh, seafaring warship they have in the Mediterranean to protect their gas fields out there in the Mediterranean from Hezbollah and other people trying to attack them with missiles to destroy their gas wells. Um, so things are getting tense. They, they, Everybody's getting ready for an all-out missile-involved uh, confrontation in the Middle East. And it's going to be hard, I think, you know, for people that are reading the news, like we are here, to really figure out who's a friend of who, even though they might say this country's a friend of that country or whatever, and deals are being made. It's all going to come down to when the fighting starts and the missiles fly, uh, who's allied with who. And I wouldn't trust the Saudis. I wouldn't trust Iran. And I wouldn't trust a lot of the allies with Pakistan uh, in the area. Um, It's just a confusing nightmare, a nightmare over there that's going to affect the whole world. So, you know, be advised. Uh, you store your your gasoline if you can to keep the prices down in a reasonable range. I, I'm kind and, of still I'm surprised that we still have we have not had anything happen. You know, with the straits and uh, the blockages there, or any supply disruptions already, given the fact that uh, it's so tumultuous over there. Yeah, well, you've got Saudis on one side of the of the Gulf, and you got the Iran on the other side, and in between is the Gulf, uh, the Arab Gulf of. Uh, what they call it now, the Arabian Gulf now, instead of the Persian Gulf. Right. Uh, you know, the, the I, I, I've got some slides up there, four of them all going to the same place, about Israel's new super-duper solar energy valley in the Negev that they're building. Um, it, it is a massive complex of mirrors that uh, are in a circle, and, and these these mirrors are all controlled by computer and they focus all their reflections into a central point up on a tall tower in the middle of the field. If you look at image 52 and, right. and uh, zoom that up, you will see the array of these mirrors uh, incredibly done so that they they focus all their reflections in one spot to raise the temperature of mm, liquid sodium or something like that uh, so that it can run turbines, heat turbines. This field you're looking at there, and you can see the size of buildings down the lower right side, how big it is. This solar power thing for Israel is a model for other countries to use, especially arid countries. And it will produce 300 megawatts, you know, three-tenths of a, uh, what would it be, a gigawatt? Anyway, three-tenths of a billion watts of of power. It's enough that they will run a lot of Israel. Uh, without oil, uh, without petroleum products. So it's something to, to have a look at there. You can see the other pictures at 49, 50, and uh, 51 show you the size of the mirrors next to people and what they're done uh, doing with it. Um, and they store they store that energy up as well, right? Uh, it, there's a storage feature there somehow? Yeah. Uh, I think it might be in the sodium bath. I'm not sure. Um, they might have deep well... Uh, storage of, of the heat. The heat's the main thing to store. 
the energy with. And uh, they've got another project similar to this. I don't know where it is. It's, it's been a while since they've shown a report of it, but it has a tower in the middle, and it has a bunch of glass uh, laying horizontal to the ground on, on stakes or, or shelves that support it in a circle like this. But what happens is they've got a slope of those mirror of those glass and that one going up toward the tower and up inside the tower. And what those do, they've got greens, you know, like um, living vegetation that's planted underneath all these clear glass things in the the glass surrounding the other tower. And they produce moisture and uh, warmth, you know, from the sun being trapped in them. And this forces moist air to go uphill under the glass, up inside that tower, and then to be condensed as fresh water. So they can irrigate those areas and get fresh water out of them because it, from the just the convection currents of the hot, moist air coming off the crops are growing, which means they can irrigate the wow. crops with brack water, you know, not, not drinkable water, but out of it comes drinkable water, comes power from fans that are turned inside that, that uh, tower from the rising hot, moist air. So it's a win-win situation for that device as well. The Israelis are, are definitely just making huge advances in technology as far as energy and, and growing things. Uh, I'm very impressed with the stuff I read. Very impressed. Wow. Uh, just looking at those images, pretty phenomenal. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, on kind of a tangent here, uh, I look at things in science and, and new developments in image 56. You can see this um, huge telescope, believe it or not, and you see here 13.26 million gallons of water in 300 tanks, all linked together in a pattern, and they're monitored uh, inside with detectors to detect gamma ray penetrations from space, from different places. And uh, this, uh, this super-duper antenna is made of water, uh, and uh, I just find it quite incredible because it, it lets them look at uh, faraway, uh, you know, actions in stars and, and uh, uh, nebula and things like that, or anything that's producing the gamma ray stuff. And it lets them say, okay, um, where did it come from? How, ten how dense was it? Uh, are we in danger, etc. But anyway, you can click on the print underneath that, and it will take you to the article and see what they're doing with it to, to map the gamma ray sources around us. Because gamma rays really are not really the best thing for your health if they get through our you know, electromagnetic shield of our planet. So it is important to, to do that. But I just found it amusing that they're using tanks of water as antenna. Now, where is this? Uh, I'm, we are looking at the picture. It's on, it's on your screen, folks. W where is this located? It's uh, in the mountains of uh, Mexico. Um, it's called the High Altitude Water Cherenkov Detector. And Cherenkov was uh, the Russian who discovered that gamma rays uh, in nuclear reactors in the, in the water coolant, the okay. gamma rays uh, produce tachyons, which turn the water blue color. It glows blue. It's called Cherenkov radiation. So they've made a bunch of water tanks, you know, 13 some odd million gallons of them, uh, to to glow, in essence, when these gamma rays or tachyons from the gamma rays cause the water to glow. Um, they're, you know, uh, hmm. they're really trying to map where the gamma rays that are hitting us come from and, you know, where the biggest threat is. But if we have a supernova somewhere 40, 50, 100 light years away, 
it may be already heading to Earth from there. And, and a massive enough, concentrated enough gamma ray burst uh, would kill most life on the planet. So it's really important that we figure out this and figure out we need to do something about protecting from that, as well as asteroids and that kind of stuff. But anyway, it's in Mexico, and um, I don't know what the uh, mountain is there. It might tell in the article, but it's, uh, let's see. Uh, no, doesn't tell me there. Uh, but you can look up on the Internet, HAWC uh, Observatory, and uh, it's in Sierra Negra. Um, where okay. it is. Um, Very interesting. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, we're, we're being threatened on all sides, aren't we? Yeah. Huh. The, um, are we doing a break, this uh, thing? Or no, no, thing? let's take it right through, uh, Stan. Okay, all right, I was passing. Um, there's another threat, a three-mile-wide asteroid that they've been, you know, touting in the news, a near-Earth, uh, you know, life-destroying, uh, you know, extinction event, uh, three-mile-wide meteor asteroid is passing close to Earth uh, in December, uh, and when you read the article, you'll see that this thing is passing way beyond the orbit of the moon. It's about 25 times the distance of the moon to the Earth from us now, and in 19, or sorry, in the 2093, when it comes back again, it will be seven and a half times the distance of the moon to us, closer, but still no prize. What may be of interest is that there are a, a satellite uh, small chunks going with it that could possibly give us a bit of a thrill uh, if they somehow or another get deviated over toward the Earth. But there's not a lot of chance of that. So I guess it's just the news writing exciting headlines saying, you know, wow, near-Earth super asteroid to look out. Um, I wouldn't worry about it if anybody out there has been worried about that report because it's just news hype. And so in it, fact, nothing to worry it, about. Yeah, and, and it may affect it, its gravity because it's you know three miles. I mean, it, it, compared to the moon, it's nothing, and it may cause a little a little vibration, if you wish, in the magnetic or, or, or sorry, the gravitational field of the moon and the Earth at twenty five times the distance, and at seven and a half times, it might be a little more shaking and quaking, but. Nothing that I would think I think would be anything to worry about, and that's it. that's going to be in what seventy, eighty years from now, the next close approach, and in that time, uh, we'll either have started the millennium, and, and and the Lord will take care of it, or you know it won't be an event. So I wouldn't worry about it. Okay. All right. Well, that's a relief. <laughs> Good news <laughs> there. Okay. Uh, yeah. The. Uh, uh. The thing with this peace treaty, I mean, think I think I've got it down there in one of these articles. Oh uh, yeah, in uh, uh, slide forty-five, Saudis don't give a damn about Palestinians. Want Israel's help with Iran? Okay, click on the uh, picture or the text, and it'll take you to that article, and you'll see down about oh one two three four uh, five five right. paragraphs down. I'll just read it to you and, and, and let it sink in about the Antichrist and signing covenants and things. But Saudi Arabia will face a public relations problem if it seeks closer ties with Israel. So it is ready to endorse any piece of paper, to endorse any piece of paper, 
as a legitimate deal to claim that the Palestinian issue is resolved and it is time to move on, says the writer of the article. Now, does that sound like a covenant of some sort that needs to be endorsed by the Saudis? Isn't uh, that, yeah. Doesn't that make the hair on the back of your neck stand up? Yeah. Whether, whether it's the Saudis or Iran, I mean, this kind of talk in the Middle East is, you know, it is prophetic. It is right before our eyes. Man. Anyway, it's well, an article with okay. some other factors in it that, that tell about that they're using the Palestinians and forgetting about them to get this peace treaty signed. There is some uh, article, I think I put it up a few weeks back, uh, that tells what the the main tenets of the peace treaty that's being, or the peace covenant that's being drafted between Saudi Arabia, Israel, and the Palestinians and, and the neighboring Arab countries is what the factors are in it. Uh, I don't know if I've still got that down there at the other end of the page here. Okay, well, okay. I'm going to look at slide 44. Uh, the Saudi Arabian king is going to step down and hand over the crown to his 32-year-old son. Okay. Right, right. Think about this now. Uh, again, I'm I'm putting him up as the possible Antichrist against uh, Qasem Soleimani as the possible Antichrist of that uh, that region. Because so much of the activity in, and the predictions in Daniel about the Antichrist of this age revolve around Israel. Israel is the center. North of Israel, south of Israel, east of Israel, west of Israel. Israel is the center of the placement of these actions. So we see here that King Solomon is going to step down and appoint his uh, prince, his son, Mohammed bin Salman, as his successor. But it says that he's going to hold that role. Uh, in, uh, king Solomon is going to hold the role of entitled, or titular, in other words, of king of Saudi Arabia, which would still mean that his son, Mohammed bin Salman, even though he's got the reins of government and, and, and virtually all power, he's going to be a prince in charge of Arabia. And if he endorses that deal that's being drawn up now then up with Israel, um, and uh, the Palestinians will be involved, and with some of the neighboring Arab countries, if he endorses that, as that other article I showed you said, it's going to really make you think, well, somehow or another, that that might be the guy. You know, um, I don't know if he moves his his house north, you know, uh, if he's going to be in that area, but uh, he's not a natural-born Assyrian. His bloodline uh, may be a Jewish bloodline, I think, and and, uh, and a traitor, uh, like a, a T-R-A-D-E-R, was the, the ancient, uh, you know, progenitor of the Saud family. He was over in Basra, over near Iraq, and that might have just been part of the old Assyrian Empire, which would mean technically that the Solomon family has uh, an Assyrian bloodline. Uh, certainly the name Solomon comes from Shalmaneser, you know, the the guy that, that built Asher and uh, was the first of a lot of Shalmanesers, one, two, three, and whatever mentioned in the Bible. So he might move his house up there if he, if he uh, overthrows uh, Iran, which is his intent. And if his camp is up there, you know, for some reason, Lord, Lord knows why, but if, if MBS has got his camp up in what is now Iran after that, then somebody pushing on it from the south might be people within his own country, Saudi Arabia or some of the other Arab states that bond together to come after him. Um, again, that to me, that sounds like a stretch, but it's there anyway as a possibility. Um, possibilities. And, and we know that yeah. there's another uh, thing in the uh, Gosh, is it Daniel? I forget now. My mind's gone. But 
uh, you remember where it says the Antichrist will pitch his luxurious tents in between the holy mountain of God and the sea? You remember that phrase, basically? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Prince Ben Salman has announced in the last three weeks the building of a, whatever, $580 billion city called Neom, N-E-O-M, where between the Red Sea and the mountain of God in southern Jordan or, or, or southwestern uh, Saudi Arabia called uh, Jabal al-Law. That's where we think that the real uh, uh, Mount Sinai is. So he is putting right there a huge, luxurious town with all kinds of buildings and stuff, $580 billion worth. Now, uh, I don't know how Qasem Soleimani would do that between the Holy Mountain and the sea, unless he did it somewhere in Israel between the Mediterranean and uh, and uh, Jabal el-Laz in, uh, in Saudi Arabia. If you find Jabal el-Laz and, and use that as the center of he's going to build it between there and, and the sea, there's only the Mediterranean across the land, kind of northwest of it, and the the Red Sea, you know, south of it. So whoever is in, in control is going to pitch his, his prestigious, you know, his really luxurious tents, they call them, his, his dwellings, right there, somewhere in that region. Yeah, I'm surprised how quickly all of this is taking place. It, 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 we're seeing um, a number of potentials yeah. engaged in a number of activities that have been prophesied. Um, and anyone could possibly take the, the take the role, I suppose. You know, there's the first beast and the second beast that's spoken of there in Revelation 12, 13. And the first beast is an antichrist. The second beast is one they call the, the the false prophet who who holds up the first beast who's been uh, you know wounded or removed from power. However, uh, holds him up as as a hero to the world. Now that guy can be the Pope. It could be Erdogan of Turkey. I mean, you know, once we move down to number two slot, the second beast, he can be anywhere and up in Europe. You see what I'm saying? So we have to yeah. separate those two in our mind. The Antichrist does certain things. The false prophet does others, and in in our discussions, well, well, in general, in the Christian community, we kind of tend to meld those two actions into one antichrist. But it's really two entities in two places. I'm I, I, I agree, and a lot of times, you know, I have to stop myself when I'm researching and looking at this. I certainly could see. Uh, now I'm, I'm kind of going off on the tangent here, away from what we're talking about. But I, I, I can almost see uh, the the uh, the Vatican or the Pope fill, fulfilling the, uh, the that role, given the acceptance and embracing of the Islamic doctrine. And, and now, again, that's kind of stretching it out to to, to perhaps limits you don't want to get into. But um, it's just a thought of mine. Uh, well, you know. I have him listed uh, on slide 13. I, he's my first uh, thing there. It's possible Antichrist, but he's also possible false prophet, you know, the, the Antichrist uh, cheering team. And next to him is Mohammed bin Salman, and next to that is Erdogan of Turkey. And then I've got uh, Hussein Obama, which I think I'm going to take off because it's just wasted space. And then we've got Bashar al-Assad in Syria. Um 
somehow I don't think with the complications politically that uh, Assad has in the Middle East uh, that he would be the, the guy, either one, false prophet or the Antichrist. But I am going to return, as I say, Qasem Soleimani in between Mohammed bin Salman and Erdogan on that list uh, later this week when I get time. Uh, but it's slide 13. You kind of go back to it every now and then and uh, see how I've updated. I'll, I'll put an update on the page when I've done it. Uh, the last update was June this year, 25 June. So things have, as you said just a while ago, they've moved so rapidly that uh, it's time for a rehaul of the, of the overview. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I, although... Um I'm not sure I would take Obama out of the running on, on this so quickly, only because he hasn't gone away. What you know what bothers me a lot is the fact that you, the, the shadow government, the permanent state. Now, I, I know that he's not the, um, the 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 impetus or brains behind this. I, I know that he's being propped up. He likes to he likes to smoke his uh, his dope and uh, take uh, boat rides with the celebrities. Mm-hmm. Okay, and play video games. This has been well documented. Um, yeah. Now, now, uh, however, he's got that charisma that that uh, people on the left, progressives, like. So I, but but I don't know. You you know what? I don't know. I, I just what bothers me is he hasn't gone away. He hasn't gone away, and maybe I'll leave him up there because there has been you know rumors that he may still take a position uh, with the United Nations. And that would then uh, allow him to, um, you know, maybe to move to Europe as well and get out of New York area, so because that might be a, a problem in the future for military, uh, tactical, and strategic purposes. But uh, he could take a, a position on a global scale in leadership of a new world order based in, you know, um, Switzerland or someplace like that. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I I'll, I'll tell you what. I I have never seen just the the number of people and and every, everything lining up the way it does right now with uh with the uh, the prophetic implications of the headlines are are just incredible right now. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's and amazing. it's meant to confuse us. It's like the old um, uh, CIA trick that if an article leaks out that they they think oh gosh that shouldn't have leaked out. <laughs> what they do is they flood the press and the internet and stuff with parallel articles on a similar note that uh, leads you down rabbit holes and just diffuse the situation by swamping you with too many choices as to what the conspiracy is about or what the leak is about. And that's what we're seeing here. Satan is very crafty in that he's he's given us all these potential bad guys for us to leap on. And uh, let's face it, people have been leaping on it since, uh, gosh, since Israel became a nation again, uh, you know. Yep. Bible scholars have been saying, well, it's this guy, it's that guy, it's this one, it's that one. And, you know, we, we've now moved down to the wire here, very close. And uh, we're flooded with all these guys, so everyone could be forgiven for thinking, whoa, who is it? But until the man of sin is revealed, the church will be here. But as Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, don't worry, you, have you, has the Antichrist been revealed yet? Well, no, well, then you haven't missed the rapture. So... It might be in the middle of the tribulation, he's, he's revealed, or what? But mm. until he's positively identified as the bad dude, we're all kind of uh, kind of required to read the news and fit the pieces together, to fit all the pieces together that are about this guy to, before we can say, that's the one. Right. And I think mm. the signing or the endorsing of that treaty with Israel and the Palestinians may be... A very important signal. 
And what role has uh, Kushner, Donald Trump's team, played in that uh, specific to to the treaty? The treaty. Or yeah, or 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 hasn't he? Re- I, I I'm trying to separate fact from hyperbole here. He's been the the uh, the kind of ghost image of what uh, President Trump wants in the Middle East area. It is no secret that President Trump wants to be the president who brings peace in the Middle East between you know the uh, the Arabs and Israel. Right. Now, just a little side note before I, I go into Kushner's role over there. Kushner represented his family holdings, his real estate properties. Now he divested himself of one particular building in New York. Um, <laughs> when President Trump won, and that building, I'm sure you know this, yeah. was located at 666 Fifth Avenue. Yep. You aware of that? Oh, yes. Yep. Okay. So it was a clever move to divest their family holdings of that building in light of the Christian base that supported President Trump getting into office that could not have a son-in-law with 666 Fifth Avenue as his address or one of his holdings. So anyway, he did that, but now he's Jewish. And he's a very bright young man, and he's been sent over there a number of times to talk with uh, Prince Mohammed bin Salman. They're good buddies, I mean, personal friends. And uh, with uh, the uh, with with the Prime Minister Netanyahu. Now they've all, he's also been working deals with Egypt. Now here's where Egypt comes into this whole game, where where Kushner is floating around over there. Egypt, what, 40, 50 years ago, something like that, had a peace treaty between them and Israel regarding military occupation of the Sinai Peninsula uh, and and the Gaza Strip because of the recent um, uh, attack on a a mosque uh, on Egyptian property over there. The Egyptians have wanted to move more troops into the, the uh, the Sinai Peninsula to fight the terrorists. So Israel and Egypt are talking about both putting troops in the area of the Sinai Peninsula to get rid of, of the remaining terrorists that are in the area, you know, trying to hit mosques or Christian churches or whatever they can find. Uh, Kushner is kind of brokering discussions between Egypt and Israel because it's very important for Egypt and Israel to agree on what they do with Palestine, or, or with the Palestinians calling themselves Palestine in the, the Gaza Strip, which used to be Egyptian property. So all this is being brokered behind the scenes, and I would tell you that even if you were behind the scenes listening on a, a, a bug in the rooms of the Saudi prince or the Egyptians or whatever, you'd still come away with your head going in circles because it's who's up, who's a friend of them or not, and will they honor the pledge? And all of this to make a peace a treaty there, or a peace um, uh, agreement, shall we say, uh, in Israel with the Arab nations. And... Uh, as you said, it's just, it's all coming together so quickly. It's like an avalanche of huge snowball coming down to the, to the wire here. And, you know, it's gonna hit the fence and break apart and we'll see what the truth is. You, you know, I remember saying, I think it was, I'm not sure if it was a Hilton Hotel in uh, New York City. I think it was in 1980 or 81. I stayed in New York City. I, just as an aside, I remember from my window, of the hotel, you kind of, I kind of had this crank my neck a little bit to, to see it, but um, out the window was the the bright lights of six 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 from that building on Fifth Avenue. Oh, really? Yeah, that must <laughs> creep you out. 
Well, yeah, it did, as a matter of fact. But, um, I, I, you know, I, of course, this is what thirty some years ago. I, I, I don't know. I, I should probably should have taken pictures of that. It was, but, but it was just, yeah, it was, it was kind of bizarre, uh, to say the least. But wow. Okay, okay. now listen. I, I know we're pressing time a bit here, but uh, the slide forty-seven. Uh, okay, uh, this is a leak that occurred that they they think that they at Prophecy News had put it up. Uh, that it leaks the details of a Saudi-Israeli peace deal. Now, did you talk about this yet on the show? No. Okay. Here are the five principles of this peace deal uh, with Jerusalem. They say the annexation of Jer- Jerusalem to international sovereignty as per the 1937 and 1947 uh, partition plans. Two international agreements which have recommended that the city not be annexed to either the Arab or Jewish entities. And so, in other words, one of the main parts of this peace treaty is that Jerusalem becomes an international uh, object and not part of Israel, uh, you know, or, or any uh, Arab uh, countries or, or Palestinians as well. That's point one. Point two, Palestinian refugees, how to deal with them. Saudi Arabia affirms its aspirations to settle Palestinian refugees in their countries of residence. The kingdom can contribute to this effort by supporting innovative solutions such as canceling the Arab League's decision from the 1950s by which no Arab nation is to settle Palestinian refugees within their borders as well as divert efforts to the redistribution and settlement of Palestinian refugees throughout the Arab state. And you can go read this on that, that, um, that slide 43, but um, the, the Saudi, uh, mm-hmm. how they're dealing with Iran in this treaty. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict is the longest-lasting conflict in the region uh, over uh, over the years. It has served as justification for the actions of extremists and has also distracted the major players in the region from focusing on the central threat to its stability, Iran. In accordance with the deal, both Israel and Saudi Arabia must commit themselves to an effective cooperation to stop Iran. That's one of the four tenets of this agreement. Uh, the Saudi influence is, is one of those four or five things. Uh, Saudi Arabia's most effective and important role is to recruit others to support this peace deal, which will usher in a new era of peace and prosperity between Israel and the Arab and Muslim world. At first, normalization of relations with Israel will not enjoy wide public support throughout the Arab world. But Saudi Arabia believes that the combination of Israeli technology and the Gulf states' economic power and energy markets could bring out the Middle East's full potential and obtain peace, prosperity, and stability in the region. And then the last part, number five, American mediation and agreed-upon principle. The United States and Saudi Arabia will reach agreements regarding the main principles for ending the conflict, after which President Trump would summon the foreign ministers of the region to a summit in order to obtain their agreements and only after all have agreed to the same basic principles would the actual negotiations for the peace deal begin. Now, that's a leaked document, but it does ring true with what we have seen going on in the press. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Buckle up. Yeah. All right, and, uh, and again, wow. because I'm pressing time here, uh, you and I talked before we went on the air about the, the the progress with our EMP Shield business. Yes, please. Let, let's let's. Um, in fact, Eric just asked me about. Uh, go ahead. Go go. Well, 
the, the, the problem, uh, the delays have been that we had to, you know, a few hundred people already order these. Um, we had to figure out how many we should produce per week or, you know, for future orders. And once we got the approval, the compliance agreement from uh, Keystone Labs, uh, Keystone Compliance in Pittsburgh, they are the ones who do all the testing for the Department of Defense for EMP shields for the military use. We used their military spec, you know, and uh, had them test all six of our units, the basic design, the same circuit, and try to make them fail so that we tell people how many times it would work. They have not been able to get our devices to fail at all. They are superb. They will they will stand several, several, maybe even up to 50 or 60 nuclear EMPs. Solar EMPs is not a problem. They'll take care of that without a, a flinch. So once we got that, which delayed us a bit waiting for that uh, certification and, and the, the thing to put on the website to say we've got it, we put a copy of it up on our, our main EMP Shield uh, website. It's called myempshield.com. Um, once we got that, then we could start uh, hiring people. We've had to hire a new project manager for the factory, and uh, we're hiring uh, electronics people to come in and help uh, test the units before they go out. And so today I was on a conference call for two hours with Tim, who invented it, and with the uh, sales, um, uh, the head of sales over there, or shipping rather, uh, to work out getting the orders that we've already got out the door. And uh, we've just acquired another factory space uh, in addition to this because we need more space uh, so that we can produce maybe 10,000 units a week because uh, we can anticipate a lot of people are going to want this uh, now that it's been approved like this. And hopefully, hopefully uh, we'll get some help from government or larger corporations to distribute these throughout the country because even at 10,000 a week, if we, if we made that many, uh, I don't think we could help much of America in that time before you know, the North Koreans or the Chinese or the Russians, somebody use EMP weapons over the country. So, okay, you know, that's that's where we are now. We're, I know that we've we've had letters from people, emails saying, well, when do I get my order? Well, th- this week is when we're hoping to get everything taken care of and caught up there now that we've got all these things in place. Okay, and just to let people know, we're going to put a link on our website linking to... Uh, the EMP Shield, and if you use a coupon or promo code Hagman, H-A-G-M-A-N-N, Stan, what what uh, what what will people well who order your this? listeners, uh, you know, can put that code in, and it will give them fifty dollars off of every unit they buy, whether they buy one, two, three, or four, whatever. Okay, and uh, you know, as, as as long as you uh, uh, wish to have that up there, we'll have that up there, and we'll give that uh, discount to your customers. Okay. Sounds good, and we really appreciate that. This is a wonderful product. Um, I, I, I'm 100% in favor of this. We all should we we all should have one of these for our homes, businesses, and of course, on the screen there, you just click that link and learn all about that. So, Stan, that's fantastic. Thank you for the uh, the ability to well, thank you for allowing us to promote this. We're out of time. Okay, but, uh, sorry about thank that. You. There was oh no. No, this is fantastic. More on the EMP Shield. In fact, we'll uh, just go to HagmanReport.com. It'll take it to the uh, soon. It'll take it to the page. Stan, thanks so much. Thanks so much for being part of the program tonight. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, and I hope uh, Joe is in fighting form tomorrow. And oh yeah, back on the show. He'll be back. All right. All right. God bless. God bless you now. Bye bye. All right. 
That'll do it for us tonight. That was Stan Dale, standale.com. Wow, is all I have to say about all of the news, information, and, of course, the EMP Shield, a great device. And we're lucky, we're fortunate enough to be able to put that on our website. Link there, use Hagman, H-A-G-M-A-N-N, as a promo code for $50 off. You can't beat that with a stick. Folks, be back tomorrow night with our flagship show. Of course, catch Doug Hagman Radio Show, 9 to 10 Eastern, Global Star and BTR, as well as John and Joe Show, 2 to 3. May God bless you. Stay safe. Until tomorrow. 